Today, we bask in the light of mustachioed greatness. Well, we honored an older Burt Reynolds with our Boogie Nights episode with that weirdo Mike Wood from the Grindbin podcast. Today, we discuss a younger, fresher, sexier, chewing gummier Burt Reynolds in 1981's The Cannonball Run. This is one of those quintessential wham bam thank you ma'am car racing movies. There are like pinche 20 goddamn characters and scenes are sometimes only four seconds and you're on to the next crazy shit happening. Jokes are coming at you like flies on shit. Every woman has a mannequin shaped body with hair so poofy you could hide a beer in there. Cops are absolute idiots of course. There's kung fu for some reason and the guy with the bow tie who walks like there's a stick up his ass is obviously the bad guy. What more could you ask for? I'm looking forward into digging way, way, way deep into the motor oil goop that rests as the foundation for this speed-tastic, engine-roaring romp of a movie. Now play that crap theme song. It's the Mustachio Podcast, you We're ready for the show. We'll watch moves, we'll make some jokes, and then we'll all go home. Navigating the legendary hairy upper lips It's the Mustachio Podcast Now welcome good madams and gents to the latest episode of the Mustachioed Podcastio. I'm speaking this way to class up the joint as we prepare for the intellectually elevated talents of today's guests. I'm kidding, I'm still gonna act like a piece of shit. Today I am welcoming a man who is in possession of the book the book of truth when it comes to movies. If he doesn't already know something about a film, he'll sure as hell do the proper research required to get the damn job done and pre- <laughs> sorry that made me laugh <laughs> present is a way that actually you know he actually presents it in a way that holds my attention it's amazing he also somehow read my mind as a teenager and created some wonderfully erotic comics that really make me wonder if maybe i'd be happier in a comic book world as opposed to this real life crap hole that we live in either way allow me to introduce the great dr lago Faustus. welcome to the show man how's it going hey it's going great daniel i'm so happy to be here uh i had a lot of fun with the whole idea of a mustachioed podcastio there couldn't be a more fun movie to be doing that i think than cannonball run uh i gotta say i really remember this one fondly because i saw this in its original theatrical release uh way back in 1981 uh and this was this was great for me because i didn't get to see that many movies when i was i guess 14 years old or whatever i was when this came out you know, I had parents who had kind of a low opinion of American popular culture. Mm. Uh, they were convinced that it would rot my brain or something like that and didn't want me to see a lot of it. But somehow, uh, in 1981, before you know, I had disposable income to take advantage of the rise of the mom-and-pop video stores, which was still sort of a few years off, I got taken to see this somehow. Maybe it was by somebody else's parents. I'm not really, really sure. Um, and... I got to see this on a big screen. Oh, man, and so awesome. The memory of it was enhanced because not only did I get to see it on a big screen, but I saw it on the big screen of what was my hometown's movie palace. Ooh. There was a <clears throat> kind of a grand, at least by the standards of the small industrial Midwestern town I grew up in, 1916 structure that had started its existence as a vaudeville theater on the Orpheum circuit. 
uh, and had later become a movie house. Uh, so this place has a long association with comedy. Uh, the Marx Brothers had played on the stage in front of the screen where I saw this movie. That's uh, amazing. It, it, was, it was something to think about. When it was renovated in the mid-1980s, the, the town managed to bring in one of the last old survivors of the vaudeville circuit days, uh, George, Bur- George Burns. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he made a couple of remarks at the rededication. I mean, he's quite old even then, but still, you know, a big a big thrill for us. And so, yeah, I saw, when I saw Cannonball Run there, you know, it had been faded, the glory had faded a little bit, but, you know, it was still kind of a, a special like a special occasion when I saw it. And the movie itself was pretty memorable. It wasn't exactly lewd, I guess would be to put it, but... There's certainly a lot there to appeal to a 14-year-old boy who didn't get to see a lot of popular culture. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, there's a lot of, like, fun, brassy defiance of authority going on inside this movie as well. Oh, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. There's so, a good punk rock feel to it here and there, you know? Oh, sure. And, you know, people were very resentful. I don't, you know, if you are old enough to remember this, but they were very resentful of the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit when it was put in in the 1970s. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah. I did not so, know that. So yeah. when, so that was, so there was a speed limit of 55 put in back in the, so back, what was it, it sort before? Of, so, well, it was, it, it varied from place to place, as it kind of does now. Um, but I remember when I was very young, the speed limits were like 70, 75, uh, wow. in a lot of parts of the country. And that means that people drove 80 or 90 miles an hour, uh, regularly, but the 55 mile an hour speed limit was put in place during the 1970s oil crisis, uh, oh, in, in, in theory to, to save like, you know, energy, uh, wow. and people did not, did not like it one bit, um, the movie itself, in fact, has its origins not quite in the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, or maybe. It's based on a real, unsanctioned cross-country race, which was called the Cannonball Backer Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash, and it, wow. which was conceived by an auto racer and a journalist named Brock Yates, who, by coincidence, wrote the screenplay for Cannonball Run, uh, and in part as a protest against stricter traffic laws then coming into existence. And the race was run from a restaurant called the Lock, Stock, and Barrel in Darien, Connecticut, all the way to the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach, California. Uh, There were basically no rules, and you could make the race in any vehicle you wanted. Uh, And Hal Needham, who is the director of this movie, claims, at least on the commentary track to Cannonball Run that he made the race in an ambulance that had been tricked out uh, with like a big Hemi engine and lots of extra fuel storage and he, oh, said, wow. like, he said he had like four fuel ports in it so he could like pull up into a, a gas station and put four nozzles into the the ambulance and fuel it up more quickly. Oh my God, that makes so much more sense now to me. Yeah, there because are some scenes. <laughs> there's that scene where the other where he puts the two nozzles in and says one's unleaded, one's leaded. She goes both ways. That <laughs> is what that scene is actually about. He had two fuel ports, um, and he also apparently, in addition to his co-driver, had a doctor and a female patient. Um, that were like friends of his. The doctor was from UCLA Medical Center and the patient was his wife. Um, and I don't know how true this story really is. Wikipedia does list all of the participants in this particular race. Uh, and he is listed, but he also is listed as not having finished. Uh, the mm. actual people who finished managed to do this run in what strike me as stunningly short amounts of time to get across, like 32 hours. Um, you know, sometimes just driving it straight through. So... 
you know, there's a real story behind this, and they made it into this incredible, <laughs> this incredible star-studded movie, uh, which yeah, we will be discussing this evening. And some, it, yeah, it's like a well, you know, it it kind of reminds me of of punk rock in the sense of you had this, you know, they had this thing that happened where they were so used to being free on the road, and all of a sudden there's these restrictions, and it causes this rebellious type reaction to the level of all of a sudden you're running this race that goes cross country and there's no rules and it's mm-hmm. just outlaw mentality and i love that about this movie it, it, they took it i think um and you probably have some more i guarantee you have some more background on that but it seems like initially maybe they wanted to go more that serious outlaw mentality and they kind of went more of like a cartoon fun way or both you know there's no reason why you can't can't have to have fun while you're rebelling against the man <laughs> that's true <laughs> This is what I was going to tell everybody. Uh, I was going to tell all the listeners, all, all 10 of you dedicated listeners out there, I bask in the, mediocr- in the mediocrity uh, of this show. I just mm-hmm. simply refuse to do too much background. I, I you know, I, I just, it's just <clears throat> part of who I am. But on the Grindbin podcast, who I consider like, you know, my father podcast, you, you have always done such a fantastic job of, of digging not only into like, you know, you dig into so much into these films, just like what you've done. And I can't wait to get into this. So y'all, I want y'all to be ready for this. I'm just giving y'all the forewarning. Listen through to this because you're going to learn a little something and we're going to have a good time. So yeah, let's go ahead. This is, uh, this is the movie breakdown. Let's break down this baby. Movie Breakdown. Okay, so we open up with one of those coveted 20th Century Fox custom intros, which I you just got to love those. I love this one. It's like animated and shit. There's like little cars running through and stuff. I love that. Yep. Do you remember that when you saw it? Were you like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do kind of remember that. Uh, you know, I didn't, it seemed perfectly normal, I guess, at the time. So Yeah, you don't see it as, you know, they're very picky about when they're going to start messing with their logo and stuff. But I really like that touch. It, you know what I like about it is it lets you know immediately, hey, we're going to have some fun here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. cartoon cars. And then, of course, of course, you start, the movie kicks off with a dope-ass Lamborghini. I think it's a Lamborghini Countach. I'm not sure. Yes, that, it is. Right? It is. Yep. Beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous car. Might be my favorite car of the entire movie. And, of course, there's a cop that's chasing the Lamborghini, but he's not having very much luck. And he wants to keep chasing. He's apparently he's been in pursuit for two hours, and he's telling his guys another five minutes, and you'll be in. Well, the 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 station's telling him another five minutes, and you'll be in Arizona. And he's like, "No, we're gonna stay in pursuit. We we got to catch this this dude." And they they say it didn't take that long for us to catch Dillinger. So yep, you, you get a nice cop joke. <laughs> you get a cop joke immediately. Yep, and, and then, and then uh, you go then ahead. you get the you get the credits right, and you begin to realize. All the people they got to be in this movie. Oh my god! It is just um, oh, <laughs> it's crazy. We've, at the top, it's, it goes Burt Reynolds. All right, so mustachioed right there. Okay. Roger Moore, Farrah Fawcett, Dom DeLuise, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Jack Elam, uh, who may be a little less famous at this time, but we'll get into who he was later. I'm sure. Yeah. Then the car comes and it comes screeching to a stop at a road sign. Who jumps out? And char- character named Jill Rivers jumps out. She's played by an actress named Tara Buckman. She gets out with a 
can of spray paint and vandalizes the speed limit 55 mile an hour sign. <laughs> yeah, that's Jump, right. And jumps back into the jumps back into the Lamborghini Countach with those amazing scissor doors that they have. Oh, so gorgeous. Uh, and then heads off down the road. It's so and that that's like starts off the entire feeling of the movie to me. Like yep. this is going to be one of those middle finger to authority. We do whatever the hell we want. We got these badass cars. And I love the fact that they pick the the women's uh, team, uh, which we learn a little bit more about them as we go on because we don't mm-hmm. even know who she is quite yet. But we just see this woman pop out who's looks in this. She's just in this awesome uniform. Or whatever you want to call it, I don't know. It's insane. It's a skin tight jumpsuit. I think would be how to uh, describe it. I really wish the Power Rangers looked this hot when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. So, so we we start with that. She spray paints it, and now we see Dom DeLuise. He he arrives in this little hatchback go kart that I can't. I would like to imagine his face when he saw that he was going to have to drive up to the car shop in that little tiny hatchback that they had him in. <laughs> <laughs> and he pops out, which I actually kind of—I'm a big hatchback guy. I actually own a Fiat 500 Turbo, so I like small cars. So I'm a big fan. But it's just funny seeing a big old dude with the mustache coming out of that car. And he gets into the shop, and he's looking for Reynolds, you know. Um, and uh, Reynolds Reynolds has that really awesome race car driver kind of name, JJ McClure. But I'm mm-hmm. just going to call him Reynolds, since you know we all know who we're honoring here. And he's looking for him. Dom is late, of course, because one of his hamsters had an anxiety attack, apparently. <laughs> Reynolds lets him know that right. they have a lot more to worry about than some, than some hamsters right now. Dom mentions something about the fact that it would be great if they won the cannonball run with the hamsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he says, you, me, he, the hamsters, and, and him. him. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> And uh, when so I, now, I, so now we have one of the core core moral conflicts of the movie introduced exactly. right up. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember feeling like, okay, so I will I will let y'all know that this is what's great about this episode is Faustus saw this when it came out in the theater, and I saw this for the first time like four days ago, and then I've seen it two more two more times since then, just so I could get a better feel for the movie because it is an absolute roller coaster of a movie you mm-hmm. if you blink you've missed something and uh yeah i was like who the hell is he talking about <laughs> he was like him i was like okay and uh all of a sudden reynolds freaks out he's like we don't want to talk about him you yeah know, like- and this is this is the this is the one thing i think that gets under Burt reynolds's skin in this movie is him because because <laughs> everything else that happens Burt reynolds is just super smooth and super cool Yes. And I think it's a total, you know, and by the way, you know, when I was watching it, I was watching it in the living room and my uh, wonderful uh, partner that I live with here, she saw, she saw it on, she saw it on the TV and she's like, man, Reynolds looks really good in this movie. And I was like, you're damn right. He looks good. (laughs) And uh, because the last time she saw him, I was watching Boogie Nights and, you know, he's a little bit hot, you know, he's up in age at that point. A little gray, maybe a little paunchy. Yeah, she got to see the full chewing gum, cocky Burt Reynolds. And I think the reason why he always loses his his shit when when they're talking about him is I think it's a control issue. But we'll we'll see soon. I I just think it's the fact he can't control. (laughs) It's just it's random, and he doesn't like that kind of stuff. And so now we break from that scene at the car shop are the the garage basically they're working on cars in there we break to that scene and now we see good old sammy davis jr who's playing uh fender bomb 
Yep. And he's at a, I think he's talking to a bookie, Jimmy the Greek, and he's talking to him about the cannonball race. And he's wanting to know a little bit more about it. He's like, you know, tell me about it. What, you know, what, what is it about this? He calls it a cannonball kookamamie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he tells him, uh, he tells him like, hey, you know, it doesn't seem that too, it doesn't seem that difficult. You know, I think we can, I think we can win it. Don't forget, you shouldn't forget that we, we are also introduced to Dean Martin in this scene. Oh, is that where he introduces him? He first appears here, I believe. Um, you know, it's sort of on the side. He's the—he's obviously going to be Sammy Davis Jr.'s partner uh, throughout this in this whole escapade. Uh, I love his name too. They give him yep. like uh, his his name is like Jamie something Saint. Jamie. Yep. Yeah, it's just he's perfect, and I think he plays a Formula One racer that's a little bit long in the tooth. It's been a little while since he's had a chance to do his racing. <laughs> yes. But they know who he is, at least. You know. Jamie Jamie Blake, according Jamie to Jamie Blake, yes. Yes. So then after that scene we, we get back to the we get to a random race car. We overhear Dom, he's doing some weird voice. The cops are blocking the roadway and, and Reynolds ends up crashing the car. The cops pull up to the car and Dom comes out of nowhere and he does he, this is the very first time you hear the da 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 <laughs> and it is Captain Chaos. Captain Chaos. He talks to the cops, and he does this like he's just sort of talking to them. This is my. He says, "This is my faithful companion, Kato." Kato. <laughs> and he's like, "You've been a cop long." And that's, a, that's a nice Green Hornet reference back there. Exactly. For those, those who are very old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. It's good stuff. Yep. So. <clears throat> So back in back in the betting shop, right? <clears throat> yeah, the we're Greek back, offers. Yeah, we're yep. back at the betting shop. The Greek, uh, they're making bets, and Sammy Davis is feeling confident. He makes a pretty big bet. I believe he bets about a million dollars, and uh, he hears and, and he talks about you know he he brings in a he brings in D Martin. He, they're talking together, and I think this is at the point where he says uh, we have a secret. We have a we have a secret, uh, uh, you know, like little plan or whatever. He's like, we have, God is our co-pilot. That that's our secret little invention there, and this is kind of funny. This is where you kind of see the old school little relationship between Dean Martin and Sammy Davis. He, he pulls him to the side. He's like, Hey man, co-pilot. God is our co-pilot. You remember our car? And Sammy Davis is like, Yeah. He's like, Two seats. Where's he gonna sit? And then he just gives a good little slappy slap to Sammy. <laughs> I feel like Sam Davis, Sammy Davis Jr. probably done with so many like those friendly slaps from mm-hmm. Dean Martin. <laughs> so all of a sudden, this is where this movie really lets you know that we are in a cartoon world. So now we're in a damn plane. Reynolds is talking about uh, we're in a plane and it's Reynolds and it's it's uh, Dom, and he's talking about using a car that is camouflage, so it isn't obvious that they're in the race. Uh, right. It's a good, it's a really good strategy. You know, I think people the, avoid the, you. They're coming up with all kinds of suggestions. What are we going to be? Limousine with diplomatic plates, bloodmobile, <laughs> ice cream truck. Uh, by the way, all the way as he's piloting this plane, you have to know that Reynolds is like drinking beer. Uh, <laughs> And he runs out. Oh, God. Yeah, he runs out, and uh, he's like, well, we got to make a stop. And luckily, they're in a very uh, chill little town where there's just not too much traffic in the main street. And he just pulls, he just comes on down and, and just parks right there in the middle of the road. And Dom tells him, like, don't bother to park. I'll be right out. Dom heads back in to get some beer. And it's funny because you hear Reynolds say, we could always get a black Trans Am. 
He's like, nah, that's already been done. Yep. <laughs> Smoking in the Bandit reference. I like that. I also like the fact that, you know, Dom DeLuise runs into a convenience store, grabs a six-pack of Budweiser, sings the Budweiser thing song as he's checking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as he's, and then until he hops back in the plane, and there's a hard takeoff back up into the skies. It's so magical, man. Like, I just love the um, craziness and the absurdity of this movie. And I think it took me a second to really get the hang of it the, when I first started watching it, I was like, okay, I didn't expect it to be this insane. You don't expect the plane to just be doing this. They're grabbing some beers and they're taking off and the jokes are just coming at you quick. So I really had a good time with that first big, you know, first part of it. By the way, just, just to let y'all know, I saw Smoking the Bandit very recently. God, that Trans Am is just such a beautiful car. I absolutely love that car. Anyway, let's get back into the movie. So the plane takes off, like Faustus said, and we're on this beautiful multi-acre estate, and we run into the great Roger Moore, who is basically playing a character of his uh, caricature of his uh, James Bond persona, named mm-hmm. Seymour Goldfarb. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, he's, he's he has an interesting. Inter- he has an interaction with his mother. Now, here uh, you may recall I sent you two clips. Um, yes. All right, and it might just make sense to you know to get us into the interaction first um, from this movie. You could play put in clip one. I will play it. Okay. Mother, I trust you had a pleasant day. A nightmare, a living nightmare. You are killing me, Seymour, killing me a slow death with this idiot spy business. Mother, you don't understand. What is there to understand? I'm looking at my son, Seymour Goldfarb Jr., son of Seymour Goldfarb, God rest his soul, and heir to the Goldfarb girdle's fortune. And what is he doing? Walking around, acting like he was some goy movie star named Roger Moore. And for this, I sent you to the best schools... For this, I'm spending 8000 on orthodonture work. For this, I'm going broke, paying that Beverly Hills analyst. And now, <laughs> this. The sleep inmate sounded under your pillow this morning. What is the meaning of this? The meaning, Mother dear, is a quick death. I warned you not to interfere in my affairs. Seymour, put that away. It's liable to go off. I'm terribly sorry, Mother but you know too much. You see, in my business, even the deepest family relationships aren't worth a farthing. Farthing, schmarthing. No. Zykazin, Mama. Why, where did I go wrong? You know something, Mama? You're too Jewish. Now, that... The actress who's, who he's interacting with is named Molly Pekin, uh, the silver-haired woman who is, like, complaining about how he's wasting his life, pretending to be some goy actor named Roger Moore. And Molly Pekin is actually a, an important piece of nostalgia for me. Uh, and here, I just want to give you a sense of where she came out of we, we roll the clock, the cinematic clock back 45 years to 1936. Uh, and we will drop in 
I guess the second of these two clips. Now you've heard that one, right, Daniel? Yes, I have. <laughs> do you do you know do you know what language he's acting in? I do not know. Okay, that's Yiddish. Ah, okay, I love it. Molly, Molly Pekin is from is has a background in Yiddish theater. She was born in 1898. She was on the Yiddish language stage practically from about the age of four or something. My God. And she, and she had a long career acting both on theater, but here, actually, this is actually a piece of Yiddish cinema to the extent that that existed. She was quite important in it. Uh, it's a 1936 movie made in Poland called Yiddel Mitten Fiddle, uh, and she's narrating basically for an audience that she's found herself in front of the story of how she got to where she was. Uh, oh. It's basically, it's a cross-dressing movie like so many other stories where a young woman dresses up as a man or a boy to enter an environment where the, a young woman would otherwise be unsafe or unwelcome. Uh, and wow. it's, uh, yeah. So this is, there's just tremendous. This is going so far back into, into cinematic history. So she's which like is this why, legendary person. Like she, she yeah. Has I mean, she has a history that goes way back into the, wow. you know, into, into basically the 19 teens. Yeah. And she, I think she was about 83 when she was, when she appeared in this movie. Um, and didn't she come so, back for the sequel? She's. I think she's in the, the second one as well. This, were her, this and the sequel were her last two appearances in uh, in cinema. My God, uh, so that's awesome uh, that they at least were able to bring her in because she, the little the bit that she has in this movie is is just fantastic, especially her working against Roger Moore. <laughs> It's just such a good combination. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, because she does. She just doesn't take him seriously at all. She doesn't. I mean, basically, Roger Moore is, you know, he's this kid that's a rich kid that's never had to worry about anything, and then he decides he wants to pretend like he's this secret agent man. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "We sent you to all these schools. We did all this work. We we did all this stuff, and 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 this is all you want to do." And and it's funny because uh, uh, <laughs> he, you know, he's talking to her. And he says something like, I'm terribly sorry, mother, but you know too much. You know, you see in my business, even the deepest family relationships aren't worth a farthing. And she goes, farthing schmarthing. 
And then I, you'd probably be better at saying this line, Zai gesund, Mama. Zai gesund, Mother. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which could either mean, it's either, it could either be good well wishes, but it, I, I'm told it also could be used to say something like, you know, get real, you know? Yes. Um, so. And she and he brings out his because she had found his gun. That's why they start having this conversation. So he brings he brings the gun up to her, and when he presses the trigger, of course, it's the classic Joker like flag that comes out that says "bang." Yep. And she's like, "Where did I go wrong?" And he, this is uh, where you know it's a 1981 movie. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, "You know something, Mama? You're too Jewish." <laughs> That's not in Australian. I'm sorry, I can't do accents. Well, you could think of also Harvey Corman says something like that in Blazing Saddles, right? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and you know, we're gonna have a good time with Roger Moore this whole movie. Uh, oh, yes. there's a, some good bits that they that they rolled into his whole character, and we have a good time with it. So now, we all of a sudden, we're in a goddamn speedboat, a speedboat, and it's called the Belly Dancer. And at this point, I'm like, uh, is a brainstorming session for Reynolds mean he has to do, like, extreme sports shit to get the ideas out? Because <laughs> I'm like, god damn, they're trying to figure out how to do a great job in this cannonball run. But he's, like, in a goddamn airplane, and now he's in a speedboat. I'm like, damn, they really made Reynolds look about as awesome as he could look. Like, it's just amazing. So they're talking about the cannonball run. And they're being crazy reckless. He's just like going super fast. And it, he sees a couple of ladies that are waving out at them. And of course, boom, they hit a, they hit a, a giant boat that is just right in front of them. And now they're in the ambulance. And this is a very essential part of the movie because this is what kind of gives birth to the entire idea of, of what's going on for, for Reynolds and his good pal Dom. And we're in the ambulance and Dom hurt his finger in the crash. And it's just his one finger that's in a little bit of a cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he says, uh, does it hurt? He's like, it only hurts when I point. <laughs> so yes. Tom says something that they would uh, they would have been okay if he hadn't been looking at the girls. And Reynolds says, nobody's perfect and probably the best. I wish I could do a Reynolds impression, but gosh, he there's so much about when you see somebody do a Reynolds impression, a lot of the inspiration is pulled from this movie. Like just his entire character that he plays is perfect. <sighs> And uh, Dom says, uh, that's true. Nobody's perfect but him. Yep. <laughs> we get another little little nod at our, our little friend, Captain Chaos. And, mm-hmm. and, so, um, and so anyway, so now uh, Reynolds and Dom realize that, you know what? An ambulance just might be the ticket they need to win that cannonball run. After the paramedics mention that they can smoke through traffic like nothing with this thing quite inspirational it worked out pretty well like i would have not have thought of that like if you're going to be at a race like that yeah an ambulance or some type of emergency vehicle might be a good idea you'd be able to just burst through most of the lights and you, yep. you seem you don't stick out at all in the fact that it's like oh they're going to go help somebody so it's okay mm-hmm. it's genius and so dom and reynolds stare at each other and they just start laughing when they realize that this might be a good idea dom sounds like a when he laughs here, he kind of sounds like a balloon getting the air squeezed out of it. I love it. And, of course, uh, Reynolds shakes Don's broken finger. <laughs> or Don's broken <laughs> finger. It's so gold. And uh, now we're uh, we're on the set of The Tonight Show after this scene. We're on the set yeah. of a Tonight Show, but except it's, uh, I guess, set in Japan. Ja- ja- Japanese. And, uh, you know, being the fact that I'd never seen this movie, I'm figuring that i'm hearing them speak chinese though what language do you think are they speaking well i, I don't know about every individual scene um 
but I had most of the ones where these two actors, Jackie Chan and Michael Huey, are together. They're actually they are speaking Cantonese to ah, one another. Okay, I was curious. Um, I I don't I myself don't speak Cantonese, uh, but Mrs. Doctor Faustus does. Oh, uh, so I actually had her listen to at least one scene to get a, to confirm that it was Cantonese and also what they were saying in sort of the byplay because there's they're saying a lot more than is subtitled in oh, in these yeah. scenes. Yeah, guaranteed, so. guaranteed. Like I remember. I think I read something like Jackie Chan was a little bit uh, peeved off because he um, he didn't know that they were going to subtitle it as him being a Japanese person. Sure. You know, and I know that rubbed him the wrong way. But at the same time, it's kind of a give and take because this also sort of put Jackie, good old Jackie Chan on the map because this is when we get to see Jackie Chan, the legend the myth, the legend, Jackie Chan. Right, but he, he, he wasn't really well known in the United States in 1981. No. He'd made, he'd made a ton of movies in Hong Kong, but this is the where it really begins for him in, in, in American cinema. His, his, his partner, uh, Michael Huey, uh, never actually had a, a career, I think, well, a couple of movies in, in the United States, but is huge in Hong Kong as a comedian. Mm. Uh, so, And it was a perfect combination because Jackie Chan's one of those guys, he really bridges the gap between you know having a martial arts movie and having that comedy in there i think he sort of gave birth to a lot of that those aspects that they use when they're trying to be uh trying to bring a comedic essence to their movies um but at the same time even was transitioned very quickly into someone who's like straight up having a real fight he's mm-hmm. incredible and there's a reason why everybody knows his name because he is one of the best at it and we get to see him at you know at a really young age his first time in one of these movies uh, in the states, and he does a great job. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of those stereotypes. So you are, we will, I will be introducing every one of their scenes, letting you all know that of course there's some kind of Asian thing that happens, like a gong. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Something goes off. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a movie in 1981. Yeah, I mean, it's a part know. of the thing then, and uh, that that's the way they introduce most of their scenes. But so we introduce we're introduced uh, to Jackie Chan as Jap- Japan's number one racer and then uh he introduces his lady friend who's with him on this tonight show and she is the number one actress of godzilla movies and then the number one computer scientist from japan is played by the comedian you were just talking about and Mm. this car apparently that they're bringing into the competition is fully computerized it's actually a subaru something turbo it's like a little hatchback it's actually a really dope looking car but this is the car they decided to equip with all these thousands of buttons it's insane looking and jackie's just talking to the host letting him know about you know um about the car and stuff but then this the other guy who's the scientist gets just he uh he's with a model and he's walking into the car and he puts her he gets her into the car and she's just kind of pressing buttons and once he's 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 showing off right to impress the girl he's like yeah you know i mean he's a scientist you know you know he probably hasn't had too much this is his time to shine. If you're going to start yes. working your way into getting the ladies, this is a good time to do it. You're on the Tonight Show, for God's sakes. But usually you should probably wait till after the show, not yep. <laughs> not during the show. And so he starts introducing her to the car. And, and, and I love the dynamic between these two cats. They're like constantly fighting and they're very different and they just go mm-hmm. at each other and they start fighting from across the freaking room and boom, the car just like reverses crazy fast <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, and so that that's kind of like what introduces us to the kind of dynamic we're going to be enjoying between these two gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So after that scene, we are introduced to a couple of dudes in what I'm guessing is a traditional Arabic dress. 
They yep. uh, make a couple of jokes about cigarettes. Uh, apparently, there's a sheik that will be res- racing in the Cannonball Run, but it looks like he's known for being a pretty shitty driver. <laughs> and uh, this uh, this yep. is, of, of course, played by Jamie Farr, uh, playing this Middle Eastern oil tycoon. Corporal uh, Klinger, for those of you who watch a lot, a lot of American TV. Yes, Corporal Klinger, who was uh, born in Toledo. And <laughs> yes. And, uh, born born in Toledo among the Lebanese American large Lebanese American community there. Yes. And uh he does a pretty good job of uh you know, once again, nineteen eighty one movie, so he, he hits all those uh stereotypes and he does a really good job of just being probably the most car- like cartoonish out of all the characters in this movie but it i had to re, re uh, rewind a lot of his parts because this guy is going a million out like just boom 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 he just says all these lines super fast i'm like wait 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 what did he say mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and he goes and he um he 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 he's driving to his estate he's he's a super rich dude and he he meets up with his sister and he says, my speed is rivaled only but, by the lightning bolts from the heavens. Crash of thunder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his, sister, his sister is played by Bianca Jagger, by the way. No kidding. In a, in a cameo role, yep. Wow, man. And, uh, and she says, I suppose you still intend to... Everybody was in this movie. I just... You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm telling y'all. This movie is absolutely... You have to see it for yourself if you haven't seen it. It's just one thing after another. So many faces... People that were already famous and people that became just such huge names just flowing throughout this entire movie. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's talking to her and he, he's talking about, um, uh, uh, he says, Cannonball will fall to the forces of Islam, my dear sister. Crash of thunder. Yes. And then he goes, drink. He, I want to be this rich. This is how rich <laughs> I want to be. I want to be able to sit back and yell, drink twice. And that everybody mm-hmm. knows, get me a drink. And that's what he does. He's like, drink, drink. And so they come and bring him a drink. And then after that, we are now introduced to some rich D-bag wearing leather gloves who has... The character's name is, I believe, Bradford Compton. And he's played by an actor named Burt Convy. Yeah, Burt Convy. What, what else has that guy done? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen him in too much. I, I, I'm not a huge... Movie surely box. this surely, surely this movie is enough of a career for anyone. That's true. If I was in this movie, I'd be handing out copies to whoever I knew yep. to this day. And uh, you know, he he uh, he's surrounded by, of course, you know, he looks like a super kind of. I think that's what he plays. Actually, is like a stockbroker mm-hmm. kind of guy. And he has a secretary tending to his needs, of course, and some dude with a hella bushy eyebrows. Just hella bushy eyebrows. Put that on your stash and shave those eyebrows, baby, and you got yourself a face. But he doesn't. He just has the bushy eyebrows. And he tells Bushy Brows to find some dude named Shaky Finch, who is one of the world's greatest cross-country motorcyclists in the world. Bushy tells him something about the board of his company advising him against this. And this is when we realize that they're actually in a goddamn plane hangar. This dude's about to freaking drive off in the motorcycle into the middle of the air and skydive on the way down. (laughs) We're like, what the fuck? (laughs) I did not expect that to happen. It's kind of amazing when you haven't seen the movie yet. Because this shit is coming at you. He just drives off the flight deck out into into the ether. Uh... (laughs) And you know, parachutes down with a with a smoke grenade. He's singing, "I gotta be free." As he goes down, <laughs> uh, and you then there, there's actually a, a joke on top of the joke, which is that there's an audience reaction shot. Uh, there are people down on the ground watching this thing going on, and there's a woman in the crowd who says, 
That's the dumbest thing I saw since that dimwit tried to jump the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and in the script, it's actually more explicit. It says, that's the dumbest thing I saw since that asshole tried to drink the, jump the Snake River Canyon. But I guess the Knievel people got to them before they could use that line. Mm. Uh, I was going to ask so. that because Evil Knievel didn't jump. He always wanted to jump the Grand Canyon, but I don't think he ever did. Yep. So they were sort of just poking at the idea that, it, you know, they're re- basically referring to him knowing that that's something he always wanted to do, uh, yep. which I love. Uh, Eva Knievel. You know, Evil Knievel is, uh, is a, quite a fan favorite of a lot of the guys from the Grandin podcast, Grandin podcast yep. which I've mentioned. And one of the listeners, um, he uh, tweeted to me, well, his name's Charles. And he tweeted to me a image of this guy just freaking face planting so hard on a motorcycle. He he kind of makes air and just plumps down on his own face. And he mm-hmm. said oh, he said something like "Viva, viva, evil Knievel. And I said more like "Evil upheaval." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know it's funny when you read it. Anyway, so but, 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 but he Knievel was huge in the seventies. I mean, I remember I remember all these like lunch boxes and stuff that like. Kids other than myself in grade school had with you know evil Knievel on them. People talked about him all the time. It was a big deal. He was a successful guy. I got to give him that. But uh, they they definitely sharp stick him in this scene. <laughs> yeah. And now we're uh, introduced to the great Terry Bradshaw of Steelers history. You know one of the, <laughs> the one of those just rough and tumble yeah. quarterbacks that I absolutely love from the NFL. And honestly, I didn't I didn't expect to see Terry Bradshaw. I was like, holy shit! Like <laughs> that's yep. Terry fucking there, Bradshaw. There he is. <laughs> And uh, talk, talk, talk about a guy who had a really successful post NFL career. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, I think he's still on Fox Sports to this day, right? Yeah, I mean, no, he's doing a fantastic job. And he is one of those guys that he gets made fun of a lot because he's more of a, a low, low key kind of guy. He's, he's not trying mm-hmm. to impress anybody, he is who he is. And that's what I really love about him. And, and he really brings that sort of personality in this movie. He's just one of those rough and tumble dudes, and he's with uh, he's with his old pal, the country singer Mel Mel Tellis, mm-hmm. who I was not aware of before I saw this. I didn't. I don't listen to country music, so I'm not a huge. You know, I don't know a lot about a country artist, and I didn't know you. I got to listen to some of his stuff. I don't know if it's good or not, but I'll check it out. <laughs> It's worth a but they, they really they really do a, a fine good old boy pair here because they're driving along in a muscle car, running away from the police. Oh yeah, you know it, they're they're just <laughs> trying to get away from them, and things sort of work out when the car hood flops up and blocks Bradshaw from seeing, and he's just kind of bland, blindly driving into the backyard of a house. He just bursts through their freaking uh, fence. They fall into a like- giant pool. <laughs> The hotel pool, right? They go into the hotel pool. Yeah. The car sinks out, sinks out of sight, and that's how they evade the police. <laughs> it's funny because they <laughs> pop up, and uh, I think the guy tells them something like, "Man, that was that was better than the thing I was thinking of us doing. Like that actually worked out really well." And they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, we're gonna have to get this out of here and retune it." And they're like, "Well, let's go grab us a beer first. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, these are our. Uh, are son of a bitches that just do whatever the hell they want kind of guys. I, I love them. They have a couple of good bits here and there throughout the movie. Then after that, we see uh, we're at like a press conference, and there's some sort of uh, there. You got a podium. It's your classic little reporter sitting at a bunch of seats, and there's a little podium in the middle of the room, and we see it's the part- wonderful Farrah Fawcett, of course. Mm-hmm. Also incredibly huge at this time, and in, in the 1970s before. Uh, 
Like she was everywhere. Um, yeah. Certainly, certainly every junior high school locker, you know. And I will tell you, Faustus, I don't think I can gauge the admiration of Farrah Fawcett. Like I can't. I don't think I can comprehend how big she was. And uh, you can tell just from watching the movie. You know why? You know why I know because she does not have to say much. Mm-hmm. She says she doesn't. They don't have to give her a lot of lines. She does a little thing, has a little twinkle of her eye, and smiles. And I'm like, she must have been legend. I can just tell. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, you 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 tell right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we see our uh, antagonist of the film. Uh, you can tell right away that he's our antagonist because he, like I said before in the opening, he's he's got that stick up his ass kind of demeanor. He's got his little bow tie. He's dressed up uh, in like a cream colored suit with a red bow tie his name is mr arthur j foyt 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 (laughs) Foyt. and uh he's a representative of the safety enforcement unit as we find out pretty soon thereafter he he works for the man yeah he works for the man he's uh he's in a group trying to stop the rising of uh parent effect of automobiles and shit on the environment and all that stuff this 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 uh this movie's very much kind of like you know anyone that's into like you know you're these you're these people that you're you know they're they're targeting these 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 people that love cars they love automobiles they love just you know raging across the 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 roads and doing their thing and then you got these people that are trying to bring down you know they're trying to take your v8s and turn them into v4s they're trying to put in smaller engines and lower your mpgs and nobody wants that especially in the early 80s and so yeah so he's the big bad of this movie and uh this is actually a really fun scene because i think this is he sees her and he asks her something about if uh she's uh planning if she was at this meeting to to hear him speak but the very first thing he says is uh this is a titty turn and then he corrects himself (laughs) and he says terrific turnout for the meeting i mean So that's uh, what do we call a Freudian slip? Yes, a very Freudian uh, slip. And you hear them talking uh, about this about, Foyt guy. About as Freudian a slip as you can get. <laughs> exactly. I feel like they would have heard me if I said that to somebody. <laughs> They're like, "Did you just say titty turn?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no I'm sorry. Yeah. I have a speech impediment." <laughs> and you hear them in the background saying that he led the campaign to ban the use of electric toothbrushes during peak load hours. And yep. uh, I will say, y'all. I you know I work in PR and marketing and I, I did that for about a year for an electric uh, company, and taking electric toothbrushes and having them banned during lead uh, during peak load hours is not going to make that much of a fucking difference. Now, if you don't use your heater during peak load hours, like say between you know five o'clock and nine o'clock p.m. at night on a winter's day. Now that will make a difference. I'm just letting y'all know this is a little PSA from Daniel J. Segura. So now we are. <laughs> Can we make a, make a, before you go on, I should make a note that the uh, actor who plays our antagonist, Arthur J. Oh yes, Point, uh is named George Firth, and was he probably achieved greater distinction as a librettist and a playwright oh, shit. than as an actor. Uh, he wrote the books for at least three Stephen Sondheim musicals, including Company in 1978. Merrily We Roll Along in 1981 and Getting Away with Murder in 1996. Wow. So, yeah, so he actually was a very, he's a, had a lot of distinction as a writer. Uh, and that's probably how most people know him today. Well, I will tell, I will say about Foyt that uh, the, the, 
he really captures this character very well. Like, and you see, you've seen this kind of character repeated over mm-hmm. and over in the movies. Like, I'm thinking about a lot of movies, like even movies from the 2000s and on. You know, you have the guy, the dean, or the principal, and they capture right. He's he's the he's the dean Wormer. He's the EPA guy in Ghostbusters. Yep. Um, yeah, and he captures him he, perfectly. He, yeah, he does such a good job, and uh, he's trying to flirt with Farrah Fawcett. Obviously, I mean it's Farrah Fawcett, and he's trying to be as smooth as he can. And she's telling him mm-hmm. how much he loves trees. <laughs> That's sort of her thing throughout the whole yep. movie. <laughs> and she's kind of like I don't know if they were trying to do this or if this is just the kind of character she would play a lot. But she, uh, because I haven't seen a whole bunch of her stuff, but she's sort of like an airhead, but that has a good heart and mm-hmm. you know is an environmentalist but she's also just not like the sharpest tool in the shed but at the same time you know hey she's very charming and mm-hmm. so yeah he's going back and forth with her and he goes up there they introduce him he goes up to make his speech and he's talking and all of a sudden we see terry and his buddy trying to get their car going after taking it out of the pool they happen to just be of course they happen to, because they're at the hotel and they just happen to be right behind the window where he's giving his speech he's trying to talk and mel says something that all the pool did was make this bitch look clean <laughs> he's like it's all wet and shit we can't get this thing going they they finally get the engine to start revving and they're revving and revving they end up breaking the glass window behind uh, arthur as he's trying to give his speech everything explodes I'm I'm thinking the glass broke because the engine was so loud. Is that I'm getting that probably, right? Probably, probably like shatters the glass, blows it out. Uh, Foyt goes falling forward, uh, <laughs> and he gets so pissed off. He's like, "This is like when he's like, all right, this is going to be my mission. I will end these fools. Like this is yep. this is his entire purpose after this point. Is they just ruined his speech, and he's so pissed off about it. It wasn't even a good speech. He was like trying to tell a poem about some shit and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the window cracks just totally interrupted him. Yep. And now we're introduced to, gosh, there's just so many characters, everybody. So this is like yep. a huge, this whole beginning, like what, first 30 minutes is just nothing but introducing us to new people. Now we're introduced to Mad Dog and Batman. Yes. And, in a big old truck. Yes, they're in a big ass truck. Which, by the way, I you don't really understand why they would take a truck on a on a race until you see what they're capable of doing in that truck. But it is played by Rick uh, uh, Avilas and Alfie Wise. You might recognize mm-hmm. Rick Avilas. I don't know if you have anything on him, but um, he was a Puerto Puerto Rican. Um, I think he was born in the states so he's a puerto rican descent he was a, a stand-up comedian for for quite some time and is famous for his uh pardon ghost i think that's where you all would probably mostly reckon that's where i recognized him from mm-hmm. and uh super super funny dude and uh i love it because he he kind of has this way of speaking in the back of his fucking throat like and i don't know if i never saw a stand-up so i don't know if this is just the way this dude talked but they bust mm-hmm. through the damn hotel because they notice that all the parking spots are taken up by all the other racers and avilas just pops up and he runs through the entire freaking hotel and he and he tells the he sees the guy the main guy that's in the hotel he's like you the, you the, the one running this flea bag and uh and the guy's like what He's like, where are the hookers? <laughs> He's like, hookers? Hookers, man. Where are the hookers? <laughs> and it's so good because you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> He's so- this guy has no regard for anyone, right? Or anything. He's just, he just, you know, he's on his own wavelength entirely. Um, it's so good. But Foyt, 
poor old Floyd is passed out on the couch in the lobby, having been, you know, possibly knocked down by this truck. Um, <laughs> yeah. And in, in, come, in come JJ, in come, come Burt Reynolds and his trusty sidekick. Oh, yeah, you know. They're, and they're, and now, now they're ambulanced up, all right? They're wearing the orange jackets with the, with the patches indicating that they are ambulance people, paramedics. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're dre- definitely dressing the part. I, you know, I, and y'all may not know this, but I, uh, you definitely don't know this because I haven't mentioned it on my podcast. But I went to, but, I went to UTSA, the University of Texas in San Antonio, and they are wearing the exact same colors of my school. So I really appreciated oh. it. <laughs> I really, well, let's hear it. Let's hear it for the alma mater. Let's go, Roadrunners. Birds up, baby. <laughs> so anyway, so we see <laughs> we see the hotel clerk. He sees him. And he's asking them, like, hey, help us, help us. Like, this man is, he got hit. He's down. So, uh, and he's like, ah, we, we're, we're kind of on break right now. We don't feel like doing it. Reynolds is really trying to avoid it. Eventually, he's like, fine, fine. Just give me that bottle. He gives him, like, a, a water bottle that can spray. An old-fashioned seltzer bottle oh, yeah. from, like, yeah, it's like, it's like Three Stooges stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever even seen one of those. I've only seen them in shows. Uh, I, I have. They're real. Uh, <laughs> but they really are kind of comic relief. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd never, I'd never seen it. So I'm glad you've seen it before. So I know that they're in a real thing. And he sprays yep. Arthur with the water bottle in the face. And what, like, what I loved was because I knew you kind of know right away, like, he's going to probably spray him in the face. Classic Three Stooges. If you've watched any fucking Three Stooges episodes, you feel like that might happen. Mm-hmm. But what I love is right after that, he sprays him right in the crotch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he gets up, just he brings him back to life like a champion. And yep. uh, you know, so Arthur comes up, and Reynolds heads to the check-in, and uh, he's he says a couple of things to the to the lady at the check-in. He says, "I'll I'll be at the bar," and the guy from the hotel, the hotel owner, is there. He lets him know, "I always like a couple of drinks after a surgery." Yeah, <laughs> which I love. And so now we're back with the chic. And, uh, he, he rolls up in his white Rolls Royce, oh, which is a beautiful uh, car, by the way. My God, yep. maybe not the best for racing, but it's still gorgeous to look at. And and uh, one of his what? one of his guys says something like, "I wonder why that guy parked his parked his truck in the lobby." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Only in America, get me twelve." Only seats. in America. No, yet an entire floor. <laughs> This guy's a big baller, man. Like, he's just running around yelling at people. And it's funny because they're like, yes, sir. And they continue the shtick that he's like a really shitty driver because you see one of his men just puking behind behind the Rolls Royce. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so now, all of a sudden, now we're back with, uh, with Arthur and Fawcett in the hotel. And uh, Arthur sees some Hell's Angels and he gets scared. He sees that the place is filling it with some real hoodlums, according to him. And uh, Arthur decides he's going to do some real top-notch spy work by pretending to drop his keys and crawling out on the open floor of the bar behind the booth where Reynolds and Dom are talking. I'm like, dude, everyone can see you, bro. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> so he, he he's he's kind of crawling. He's low, he's low down there, and Reynolds is telling Dom how if they're going to be driving an ambulance, they need a goddamn doctor in the van. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to cover up. And Dom, Dom mentions that he planned to use his therapist, who's named Doctor Gay, and uh, he guess that I guess this this is a gay joke because he says something like his doctor was then committed for smoking bananas. Can, I mm-hmm. don't know if he clarified that, but it's a oh, uh, I have no idea exactly what's going on there, <laughs> but it's just... a lot of jokes being thrown out. This is definitely like yep. a cocaine fueled script, you know, like there's yep. a lot coming at you. 
they're talking about trying to find this doctor and uh it's funny because then dom takes some fruit fruit stuff some bar fruit out of his drink he's like an asshole he's just like i don't want this crap in my drink and the fruit of course just splats on good old arthur's face while he's on yep. his damn knees and he's been on his hands and knees for the last two minutes that's how long that yep. scene took and right. so he's there and now we see dean we see good old dean and sammy and they're in priest outfits so he was kind of doing a little when sammy davis mentioned god that was his little bit of like hey we're gonna come in and we're gonna look like we were men of god and they have some banter and sammy talks about putting some more money on the race because he feels like all these assholes ain't gonna do shit and then we get back um to where we see that Reynolds is saying like they need a patient in the ambulance if they're going to help with the you know if it's going to help with the cover up and mm-hmm. how do they um one thing I was asking was like how do they not have one friend that they could have just asked to be a patient in the ambulance but you know what I think this was a very last minute decision <laughs> so I guess they're just right. trying to slapstick this shit together and this is when Reynolds sees these two gorgeous women at the corner of the bar Jill and Marcy Jill and Marcy and uh, Marcy is played by Adrienne Barbeau. Um, Love her. Great screen, scream queen. Amazing, yeah. She's so awesome. And uh, Reynolds tells Dom to shut the hell up and just let him do all the talking. And, and uh, he tells Dom, figure out this doctor situation, bro. We need a freaking doctor, bro. So mm-hmm. then uh, Arthur is, of course, they, they cut really quick. And Arthur is, of course, still on his hands and knees outside the booth. And someone promptly steps on his hand because it's impossible to see a grown man on his hands and knees in the middle of the bar. So uh, she steps on his hands. It's, this whole this the whole first like uh, part of the movie, you just get to see Arthur get fucking thrown around and hit and hurt. It's so fun. So then Reynolds and Dom go up to the girls and then they introduce each other. Arthur tells Fawcett that uh, that uh, because we come back to Arthur and Fawcett, and he tells him that these guys are cannonballers. And uh, Fawcett asks if that's a bowling team, which I absolutely love. She's like, "Is that a bowling team?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, uh, he says something like, "These people make terrorists look like the Sisters of Charity." I'm like, "Wow, bro! <laughs> Gosh, they're yep. just racers for God's sake! Give them a break." So we're back with the ladies and Randalls. He asks if they would like to be in the winning vehicle, which I really love. That's such a smooth cat way. Like, hey, would y'all like to be in the mm. winning vehicle of this cannonball race? They, of course, mention that they are actually cannonballers, too. They say that as uh, for the winning vehicle, we'll just have to wait and see. You haven't seen our equipment. Oh, you got to love it. What a line. That is some sexy <laughs> shit right there. And Reynolds does yep. this fucking thing. He says, once again, in, in this classic delivery, he goes, equipment. He looks at Dom and he says it one more time. Equipment. Equipment. And then he does his like, <laughs> like he does like I don't know. I guess it's a vagina talking. It's like a Donald Duck thing. Yeah. But you can tell it took like a bunch of times for them to get that right because you there you yep. can see them laughing. <laughs> and so then Reynolds turns and he sees the beautiful Farrah Fawcett. This is like one of those moments like literally this magic moment you know you see her just lit in the light of the bar definitely one enchanted evening one enchanted evening she has the lowest cut top you can think of and of course she's not wearing a bra because it's 1981 Mm. it's a beautiful time everybody reynolds starts guess reynolds walks up to her he's starstruck she's gorgeous and he does one of these things that i've tried one time and it does not work, everybody. Anyone who is listening to this podcast and you're a young man and you're trying to be cool, do not go up to a girl and ask her 
and, and tell her, let me guess your name. It's just a bad idea. You're not going to guess Advice not a, The advice does not apply if you are actually Burt Reynolds. If you are Burt Reynolds, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because yeah. at this point, so he... <laughs> So he asked her, he's like, let me guess your name. And he, he guessed all these damn names. And then... Ev- Melisande, <laughs> Juliet. And eventually he's like, you know what, girl? I was going to call you beauty. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked for me. They did, it mm-hmm. didn't work for me back then, and it wouldn't work for me now. But you know what? Like you said, it works for Reynolds. And it's funny because she asked him, are you one of these volleyballers? <laughs> and he's like, you mean cannonballers? Cannonballers. And he, he, he corrects her. But he, he lets her know that no, you know, uh, she says like she asks like why are you dressed like that? He's like Huma- humanitarian reasons. I'm a wealthy philanthropist. Uh, me and my partner ride around in an ambulance looking for accidents, trying to help people. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> the line is such bullshit, and he delivers it with such conviction. It's a wonderful thing to see. It's so awesome. Uh, he's like chewing gum and shit. He's just so confident in himself. <laughs> He's really trying to get an, an edge in on, you know? He's trying to get an edge with her. <laughs> what, what, I like, what I really like is Farrah Fawcett's reply. You must be a sensitive person. I bet you're a fan of Rod McEwen. And Reynolds' response is, listen to him every night. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, there's, then it gets even more surreal because she says, have you ever heard, you know, she really talks about how she really loves trees. Yes. Have you ever heard about Joyce Kilmer? She wrote a poem about trees. And Brendel's response is, he. <laughs> he? Joyce Kilmer was a he. Um, oh. <laughs> Which is true, by the way. Joyce Kilmer was a he. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love uh, that. I, I looked it up because I had heard of that. Yeah. Poem and I was like, I need to find this out. Yep. He, he's actually, a, he's a local boy about um, a couple miles from where I'm sitting right now. There used to be a huge military base called Camp Kilmer, named after Joyce Kilmer, oh. um, because he was from he was from Central New Jersey. Uh, he was killed fighting in the First World War um, in a battle, the Battle of the Marne or near the Marne in 1918, and he did, in fact, write a very famous poem about trees. No shit. Um, if you've ever heard it, you know I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. You know, and it goes on, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet-flowing breast, a tree that looks on God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer near wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Let's face it, everybody, that guy was fucking trees, right? Yeah, he was into, well, I don't know what he's into trees. We used to parody this poem when I was in school with a, with a poem that began, I think that I shall never hear a poem as lovely as a beer, but um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't really remember the rest. I love that. Um, oh, that's like some shit I would have done when I was young. That's good yeah. stuff, though. That is actually is a very beautiful poem. Um, yeah. I, I really dig that. And what I really love um, when when she's talking to Reynolds, like as soon as she, she mentions that she really loves trees you just see this 
magical face. It, Reynolds has this face where he can kind of change it to make it look like he can say so much with doing very little. And you can kind of see like, oh, shit, what have I gotten myself into? I'm going to really have to adjust myself accordingly to make this woman love me. And it's just magical. I love their interactions. And all of a sudden, they're having a good conversation. Dom comes in all frantic. Dom is like the crazy frantic friend. He's telling, He wants to tell him about the doctor. Reynolds just keeps telling him, it'll keep, it'll keep. I'm, I don't know what that means, but I guess he's just trying to tell him to shut the fuck up because he's talking to Farrah Fawcett here. And he says he doesn't want to talk about that. He wants to talk to her. But of course, while they were going back and forth, him and Dom, Fawcett went ahead and stepped aside and moved away. And she, she walks somewhere else and Reynolds takes off after her. And then now we cut to Mr. Compton. You remember Mr. Compton? He is the Mr. Stockbroker guy and he's with Shaky. Mm-hmm. And Compton notices that good old Shaky's put on a few pounds. <laughs> and uh, I love it because Shaky says some shit like, well, when you run a pizza business and it's slow, you end up eating a lot of your inventory. <laughs> I'm yep. like, yeah, that would have been me. I would be such a fat shit. I would be fatter than I am now if I freaking had a pizza joint. My God, I would eat that every single day for breakfast, lunch, dinner, 2 o'clock. So then uh, Compton is worried because uh, – he doesn't feel like that's good for the race and especially since you know you're on a damn motorcycle that's what his uh vehicle of choice is for the race and shaky tells him not to worry about it i got this i'm still the best don't worry so now we're in the hotel room and arthur is just doing his narky ass bullshit talking to his big boss from the safety enforcement whatever unit and he's telling him all about what's going on he's saying that there's a coup happening here and they can use the cannonball run as a way to get more money from legislators or whatever the fuck no one's paying attention here this is when you're trying to like get your dick inside the bucket of popcorn in the movie you know like you just mm-hmm. he's talking to his boss who cares but you just know whatever it is it's gonna try he's gonna try to ruin shit and now we're back with Dean and Sammy at the bar. They're, it's funny because I feel like a lot of time has passed, but Dean and Sammy are in the exact same fucking spot that they've been at that bar since they were earlier. And I could have sworn, did you just like come through the door and stop? I feel like they're right in front of the doorway, but I guess they're just off to the side. And uh, Dean sees a couple of female racers. He sees good old Jill and Marcy. And uh, he's totally white slammering in his pants. Like, he's just like, oh, God, mm, shit. Like, he's, he's really excited. If, if only I were a Methodist. <laughs> yeah. He says, if only we were a Methodist, boy, would we have a shot with getting laid tonight. <laughs> There's a guy at the bar that hears them, and he just spits out his drink. Oh, man. Dean really knocks it out the park in this movie. I, lo- I, I will give him that. I, I've seen a lot of his stuff, but. You know, other, I mean, I love his music, but gosh, he is so awesome in this movie. He's there's a, we're gonna come across to this one moment that let made me laugh out loud so bad, and it's the smallest little thing. He just gives it gives the line so well. So then, um, now we're back with Compton. He's trying out the motorcycle uh, because he had shaky work on it. There was something going on with it, but it uh, turns out the clutch is messed up not what he thought was messed up and the 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 motorcycle is just going wacko and he runs into arthur of course of course arthur is trying to leave his room after he's finished narking with his boss about the race and he hits he kind of like hits arthur on the side and arthur flies through his own window back into his hotel breaks the glass the motorcycle heads out by the way this is an amazing freaking stunt scene this is when you know a goddamn stunt person is is running the show here the motorcycle heads Mm -hmm. out the hallway down the stairs through the fucking bar and it's such a freaking awesome scene man you see um 
you see Sammy and Dean react to it, which is really funny. I forget what they say. They say something about the environmental people coming through. I guess this is their welcome committee or something, but it's so awesome that yep. it just flies through the bar. It's like, man, there's some good shit in this movie. Like, when it comes to action car stuff, dude. You know, has, you're reminded that Hal Needham began his career, director Hal Needham began his career as a stuntman. Amazing. Right? Just amazing. Yeah. And is it true that he, he's based off, um, or he wasn't, his character, uh, the character for Brad Pitt in that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was inspired by him? It, it could be. You could kind of see it a little yeah. bit, just from the person that, I, I mean... I haven't seen a lot of footage of Hal speaking in real life, but I just feel like that kind of personality that would make a movie like this would be very close to Brad Pitt's character. <laughs> and um, and now we see Roger Moore, and he's uh, he's arriving in his signature. I believe that's an Aston Martin, right? Isn't that what all the 007 drive? It is. He gets out. He has, he's in black tie. He has black driving gloves. He gets a, a, a lovely blonde woman out of the car. The first of several Bond girls will be seen in this movie. I think it's a different one in every scene. But uh, and, and, and in the commentary track, Hal Needham says, you know, I have no idea who this was. This is just someone we found. We were filming in Georgia, and we saw this woman shopping in Atlanta, uh, and we thought she'd be really well-suited to being a Bond girl. So we just signed her up. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> that's awesome. You, you think, like, that stuff never happens, right? But I guess it did this time. Uh. Yeah, and I heard that... Um, I heard that they actually used a voiceover for all the women. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure who they used, but that's why all the women sound – it's such a good bit because it's all – it's different women throughout the entire movie, but they all have the same kind of weird voice, and it's because it's the same person. And I forget who she is, but um, y'all can look it up and let me know. But she she's uh, somebody that is known, and, and they just used her voice for the entire – for all the Bond girls that we see. He's arriving in the – and God, he has like a – dope ass y'all know i don't know if y'all follow me on twitter like my actual account but y'all know i like me a suit i will sport up in a suit i don't give a shit i like to look nice and he's wearing this like baby blue full suit looking just british as fuck and he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's and of course he's driving on the other side of the car so he's actually has like a full freaking European Ashton Martin. And he comes up to the table. He's like, I'm here to participate in your little jaunt to California. And he signs as Roger Moore, which is funny. <laughs> he actually signs Roger Moore. <laughs> and he asks him he asks him to keep the media coverage to a minimum, please. Yes. <laughs> because he does it in response to like there's a kid taking like a picture of his his brother or something like that. Oh yeah. There's a flag. <laughs> This is what provokes that particular line. Because he's, so, he's such an egotist that he assumes that any camera is pointed at him, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he does this, uh, yeah, and he's such a good caricature of himself. And uh, yep. now we see some guys working on, on one hell of a Matt Gray van, y'all. And I just want to let y'all know that Daniel J. Segura is a van guy. You know, mm. I love me a good van. I don't own one yet, but I will one day. And instead of a jack, this dude that had that that's racing with this van is just actually holding up the fucking van. I'm like, holy shit! This guy is strong as hell. He's holding up the van. They're replacing the tire, and then we see uh, Terry and Mel packing up a whole shitload of beers. They must have like I don't even know fifty five six cases <laughs> worth of beer. And I read, Terry asks Mel, "Did you bring enough food?" And he says, "Sure." And he holds up like a six ounce bag of 
potato <laughs> chips or something. Like. He's like, ah, that will do. It's fine with us. Then we see Sammy Davis Jr. and he's uh, trying to tell Dean Martin to step away from the herd of ladies around him. He's just surrounded by like a whole bunch of women. He's a little, he's a flirty guy as much as you know. I, I think probably Dean Martin always played guys that were flirty guys, like you know that mm-hmm. guy and the uh the announcer yep. guy at the start of the race says that it's been called the automotive because uh from this we get to the announcer guy he's, he's kind of getting everybody hyped up because they're getting ready to take off he says it's the automotive counterpart to the bay of pigs <laughs> and i was like holy shit <laughs> that's a that's one hell of a line and there are tons of people there by the way so there's way more people racing in this race than we've seen there's it's a pretty huge thing this is when you really get the broad scope of how many people were taking part in this and uh you know he says something like ten thousand of the most elite highway patrolmen are waiting for you and uh he says there is not one state who is who who has the death penalty for speeding although i'm not sure about ohio (laughs) which i liked reynolds is now acting um He's getting with Dom, and he's telling Dom about the about the doctor. And apparently the doctor got sick. So Renner says, listen to what I'm telling you. You go find a doctor. Get me Dr. Kildare. Get me Dr. Livingston. Get me Dr. Frankenstein. Just get me a goddamn doctor. And he goes, and he tells him, he tells Dom, go where doctors hang out. And Dom's like, where's that at? Bars, golf courses, golf course, bar. <laughs> and uh he says where else he's like the hospital just just go there like find something (laughs) which i love i love the interactions between him and dom like you tell they just had such a good fucking time and they both have mustaches so we get a lot of mustache throughout this whole freaking movie they look great and uh the the sheik punches out he's like the first one to punch out and head out that we see and then Mm -hmm. sammy notices reynolds next to the ambulance and he tells dean uh he says something about uh, that they need to worry about. Like, I think I think Dean says something like, "Wow, oh, we don't need to worry about them. What we need to worry about is is the the blimp, uh, Dom, because um, I guess he puts on this mask and he'll blow the doors off or something." So I guess other people know about this alter ego about Dom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's some insider shit. Like I guess I guess he's gone around fucking yelling da da da, and so I guess the the. The world of tr- unsanctioned transcontinental road races may be a relatively small It must one. be. It's got to be something, you know, you just kind of, you know, and I totally get that kind of feeling like being in a band that wasn't very big and we played a lot of similar yeah. venues uh, when I was growing up in hardcore punk bands and stuff. You just see other people and you know of other people. You see all the same people. So, yeah, it's totally one of those things. And then... Like, like you, you get this interaction, like the first time that uh, Mad Dog appears... Um, you know, stepping out of his truck in the wrecked lobby, uh, Burt Reynolds just walks up and says, "Hey, Mad Dog." You know? Yeah, yeah. They like, like it's like it's, like it's a completely normal thing to see him in such a situation. Like, hey, what's up, man? It's good to see you crashed into this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we uh, we see our Japanese friends, and they're driving on through to the start. We see Arthur mm-hmm. hiding on the side with Fawcett. He's, he's kind of like off to the in the dark in the in the darkness, scoping them out. And he's talking. He's taking down all their license plates. And Dean runs into Jill and Marcy, and he's drunkenly. By the way, I'm ninety eight percent sure that Dean was actually drunk throughout most of this movie. I'm just guessing. I'm not. 
in some scenes, quite possibly this one. It is so genuine. <laughs> Either he's been drunk so often that he just knows how to talk, or he is genuinely mm-hmm. drunk, because it is magical how well he captures a drunk guy. I'm like, man, this guy made me miss my uncles that are dead. And <laughs> so, so Dean's talking to Jill and Marcy, and he's hitting on them. Oh, look at that. Cops will never make you in that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's, he's pointing at the Kuntak. And there, I think it's Jill's retort is not at 220 miles per hour. Yep. Um, <laughs> so don't. I think that's I think that's a slight exaggeration. I don't think that the Kuntak could go quite Hell that no, fast. Hell no, unless they but, had some crazy-ass mod and, oh my God, they probably yep. would have gotten a wreck going that fast. But they look fantastic, y'all. I can't tell y'all how freaking amazing these women look. And Terry yep. and Mel jump into their their newly painted car by the way they decided to paint it like a matte gray color and then we see mad dog and batman head out in their crazy ass truck and they start like immediately going off road they're like hey you're gonna take the quickest way to the highway right and then boom they just like go through some shrubs and shit and just like go off to the road Look at what they did to those trees. Oh, Farrah Fawcett is not digging that, by the way. She is not happy about that. And Foyt is just writing down all these, you know, writing down as many of these license plate numbers, getting ready to fight the, the good fight for him. 007 heads out now, and he prefers to... We find out here that he prefers to drive without his headlights on for some reason. The race girls uh, then at that point tell Dean to go ahead and fuck off, and he heads out. Yep. Comp- Compton and Shaky are heading out, and it looks like they're going to be dressing Shaky as an old lady. <laughs> bride, and, bride and groom. Yeah, bride and groom. That's what you got to be. It's a good cover-up, you know? It works out. Yeah, for sure. I guess the cops will stop them in that case. And th- But y'all need to see this. Like, the scene is insane. There's just so much happening. We're going through all these people getting ready to take off. Dean comes up to Sammy, and he's super... F- Oh my God! He's just magically trash, and Dean lifts off, lifts Sammy off his feet, which I feel like isn't the first time he's done this to him for some reason. And he says some really drunk shit. I don't know if you got any of his lines. He says some really drunk shit to Sammy, and uh, Dean asks something like, "Who's driving?" And Sammy says, "I can't drive." And then Dean says, "So I guess I'm driving." <laughs> yeah. They're both they're both drunk. They're both drunk. They're both holding. They're both holding drinks. Three sheets of the wind are out there. I mean, good lord! I guess another another one of these signs that you know you're in 1981 and not in some later. And era. ladies and gentlemen, um, they are in a fucking Ferrari, like a red Ferrari. Like I would fucking wreck into a building so fast. I would have just turned right and hit the hotel if I was as drunk as they were. But these guys are professionals. They've been drunk for like probably. Ten years straight at this point, and, I guess. <laughs> and so, D- I, I, if I, I've had had as much to drink as these guys, I don't think I would have even been able to find the clutch. <laughs> I mean, I know that's like I know, like I think so. People are so spoiled with driving automatics now that they don't realize. Yep. It's kind of it, it takes a little more thought to drive a, a manual vehicle. Like you, you can't be completely yep. wasted. I, I guess if you've been driving them long enough, who cares? But they get into the car, and. Um, Sammy gets his little hat on, and they get ready to go, and they head out. And I think one of the guys, one of the the main race officials, says something about them, like "God damn, they're wasted as hell." There they go. But I really love Sammy Davis Jr.'s parting line to the, the women who are like signing him out. He says, "May the good Lord take a liking to you, but not too soon." <laughs> I did not have that written down, so I'm glad you mentioned that. 
<laughs> I do remember that. And the the the, the racing ladies uh, head out in their dope ass Lamborghini, and uh, Dom comes in and says he has the doc. He's got the doc. He finally found the uh, the doctor. And they open the door, the sliding door to the van. And this might be one of the greatest intros of any character of any movie I've seen. It's the most ass-side man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's Nicholas Van Helsing. Dr. Mm-hmm. Van Helsing. Oh, my God. What a mess this yeah, guy is. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm Dr. Nicholas, Nicholas Van Helsing, professor of proctology and other related tendencies. <laughs> He's so good. He's the graduate of the University of Rangoon and assorted night classes at the Knoxville, Tennessee College of Faith Healing. <laughs> yep. He's so fucking good. I don't know. I don't know about a lot about this He's, actor. Do you? I don't know. Jack Jack, Jack Elam uh, was basically a character actor with a long career. He seems to have been in almost every TV western that uh, showed up in the 1960s. Uh, I made a joke about another actor in a similar position on, on the grind bin last week about I'm surprised that he didn't show up in the background of Bounty Law, or at least a lookalike. Um, and but you know, so he he did he actually had some some interesting cinematic parts. He was one of a trio of killers who was sent to um, oh, is it like Once Upon a Time in the West? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he was famous for having his odd looks. He actually did have like a misaligned eye, as we see in this particular. Um, it was Charles Bronson was actually the guy he was sent to kill, but he didn't succeed, obviously. <laughs> Who um, succeeds in killing Charles yeah. Bronson? Come on. <laughs> no one, obviously. Uh, not this guy, certainly. Uh, so he, he had a long comic long career. And this is, I think, but this is an amazing comic turn for him. He's very good at this. Yeah, like, cause I think because he plays it fairly straight. And it makes him incredibly mm-hmm. terrifying and hilarious at the same time. And and yep. tell me, Faustus, does he actually make that thing with his eyes? Is he kind of forcing him to be out there, or is that just the uh, way it was? No, I think that I think that's the way his eyes that actually were. Uh, so uh, um, you know, Reynolds seems unenthused to say the least uh, as he sees this insane fucking doctor in front of his face. He asks him if he has his equipment with him. Van Helsing says, "Well, in my line of work, I hardly need anything more than this." As he proceeds to flick Reynolds' nose with his middle finger. <laughs> And he uh, he says he says or this and he just squeezes a random fluid from a syringe that he was holding into Reynolds' eye, a, a, a big scary hypodermic. <laughs> yeah, this is like a sci-fi horror movie. This is like the Reanimator like, version of a syringe. It's yep. so good, man. This guy's insane. He steals the show for this this point on. This guy's so good. And Reynolds says that uh, he tells Dom he's like, we'll talk about this later. And Van Helsing says he requires two thousand dollars. And Reynolds says, "Well, I was thinking more like two hundred. The doc was totally bluffing. He's like, "Well, let me check my calendar." Da 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 da. Uh, two hundred sounds like a deal. <laughs> my uh, practice allows me some flexibility. <laughs> yeah, the whole time he just has his voice like, "Oh, it's so good." You nailed it. That sounded just like him, actually. And uh, the guys are now heading out, and the doc is just there singing some random ass shit in the background. He's just completely out of it, and he's also coughing. They give us this, they give us this impression that this dude is like sick as fuck as well. Like he is just coughing and blowing his nose mm-hmm. on shit. He's absolutely disgusting, and I freaking love it. And Reynolds is pissed that they they don't have a patient for the van. 
they stop by they they're kind of driving on through and they see Fawcett, and she's with mr foyt because they i at that point just before that he was like you know what i'm gonna stop this i'm gonna head over there and stop this but it looks like he got into a wreck and he is just his car is done and he also is hurt of course and reynolds tells him i, I feel like they probably filmed this and they just didn't put it in and um reynolds tells him to go ahead and jump in the back of the van he, t- he tells Floyd, go ahead and jump in the emergency entrance of the van at the back. Right. <laughs> they grab Fawcett like they're about to kidnap her from Kmart. They just like, they just grab her, throw her in the van. Pull, pull her into the front seat uh, and drive off. <laughs> this might be one of my... I, out of all these wonderful stunts, this is why... Um, sometimes I feel like I'm too easily enthused. Out of all these wonderful stunts in these movies... The, uh, or in this movie specific, this one really freaking took the cake. You see, we see, we see Floyd holding onto the back doors, but then as the van takes off, he just face plants into the ground. And I was like, oh, that is yep. just beautiful. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And they take off, close the doors, and Fawcett, uh, Fawcett notices that they forgot to get Floyd. And they want, her, they, they want him to go back and pick him up. And Reynolds says uh, that they're on a tight schedule. He's so serious with her. Like, he just knows how to flip it on. He's like, we're actually on a tight schedule, and uh, we can't turn back. We're going to head out to California when there's a lot of sick people out there, you know. And as I live in L.A., yes, there is. And uh, he (laughs) says that uh, they can pick him up on the way back. And Fawcett asks if Dom can do anything about it. And he says uh, he can't do anything about it. And and he, But, oh, he says he can't do anything about it, but he can. And uh, Fawcett mm-hmm. says, who can? Dom says, him. And uh, so then we get a little so we get a little bit of a, you know, a little ching, ching, ching to uh, our good old superhero pal. Fawcett goes to the back mm-hmm. and gets the doc all excited. <laughs> the, the perfect specimen. <laughs> the doc is just off the chain, man. She goes back there and I don't even know what he says. Do you know what he tells her? I don't even know. My God, the perfect specimen. <laughs> Shall we begin the examination? Yeah. <laughs> and she is in complete shock because she's looking at this human. And uh, so now we probably hear an uh, Asian-type intro. I'm not sure, but we're with the good old Japanese racers who are using some sort of infrared headlights. Well, actually not infrared mm-hmm. headlights. They're using these goggles that are infrared so they can actually turn their headlights off and not have to cause any sort of attention and ride through the night mm-hmm. without worrying about it because they can see everything. It kind of looks like when you saw... Uh, I don't know how many of y'all know this, but y'all's, y'all 90s kids, uh, Nintendo freaks might know about the Virtual Boy. If you ever looked into a Virtual Boy that's basically basically the way Jackie Chan is looking right now while he's racing and the girls are uh, in the Lambo getting pulled over at this point and this is when we see the the power of the zipper as I like to call it oh yes. the zipper pulled over by a Connecticut state trooper nice mustache very nice by the way. mustache um uh <laughs> so yes they sort of slowly unzips the front of her jumpsuit where you know she happens to keep her driver's license oh Adrian Barbeau does, I think. Um, she was prepared. And of course, she, well, <laughs> fortune favors the prepared. Um, and this, this, sort of, this sort of attitude improves this particular officer who, we all make mistakes, but 160? Um, <laughs> it's so good. 
and uh, yeah. and and they're so they're they're so confident about it, and they're just like, oh, you know. And at the same time, while he's talking to them, of course, there's like five or six other cars that zoom right past. I guess this is a pretty major highway that a lot of the racers decide to head through. And he's noticing, like, okay, so there's a bunch of people just acting crazy tonight. You have a great rack. I guess I'll just let y'all go because I'll probably get somebody else down the way. Y'all have a good night and be careful out there. And he lets them go. And uh, I, I kind of want Faustus to, to describe all the sexy scenes just because <laughs> I feel like he'd do a much better job than me. It's, I guess it's my job, all right? <laughs> yeah, it's part of your expertise, man. Oh, you know, I have to write these comic scripts where, you know, I describe. And then, all right, so. <laughs> and uh, now we're in the back of the ambulance with Reynolds and Fawcett. And Fawcett feels like she's being right. kidnapped at this point. She is not happy with the situation. <laughs> Reynolds' response is, well, you could call it kidnapping if you want to be rude. <laughs> and they, the, they see that there's some cop lights in the back, and they're like, oh, crap, here come yep. the cops. They want Fawcett to lay down mm-hmm. and be a patient because that's why they brought her on board. But she doesn't want to help them right now at the, at the moment. She says, I'm not going to help you. You didn't even help Mr. And she could never remember Foyt's name. And so they're like, Foyt! Running gag. (laughs) And it's a good good gag because the way they respond is so perfect. They're like, Foyt! And uh, (laughs) so the doc wants to give her a drug to help her relax. And Fawcett is hesitant. Mm -hmm. And the doc says, not to worry because he he gives it to himself all the time. And Reynolds agrees. It doesn't hurt. Look. And he he checks himself. (laughs) Reynolds is like, yeah, well, go ahead and show her, doc. He's like he's at first he's hesitant. He's like no, no, I don't want, I don't want to do it. He's like do it. So he ends up doing it. Yeah, he shoots himself up with whatever magical drug he puts him in, and he just yep. um, once again has a good time. They stop right. for the cops, and uh, the cops come in, and that that's one thing. All the cops are almost the same. Like no matter what uniform they're wearing, mm-hmm. they have that very perfect cop you know type personality they're just here to do their job yep. they're wondering what the hell's going on why is this ambulance going 150 miles per hour or whatever and the cops are telling them what are you, what's going on man why are y'all going so fast and they say that they're heading to the ucla medical center and the cop responds with this is going to sound like a du- oh because what happens was uh that they're like well let's see the patient um and so they they open up the thing and they see Farrah Fawcett in there, right? And she's kind of like, right, drugged out at that point. <laughs> she's kind of like, hi. <laughs> and they're like, this is going to sound like a dumb question, but if she's that sick, why didn't you fly her? And they're like, why didn't we fly her? And uh, and it's funny because then Dom is like, well, I'm just the driver. I'm not here to ask answer any questions because Reynolds does not like him talking up when they're trying when they're in a tight spot. And they're like, well, we have to ask the doc. And they're like, that's a good idea. Let's go ask the doc. And Reynolds is not happy about asking the doc because he's like, oh, shit. The doc is a goddamn wild card. He's the Charlie Day of this bitch. We don't know what he's what he's up to. And so they go and they ask the doc. And it's so fucking awesome because he, this is when you really see what, what kind of a badass actor this dude is. He comes out, I'm sorry. What's going on here? What is the crude interruption? <laughs> and uh, he's telling them that... Um, the patient couldn't be flown to California. There's cysts on the wall of her lungs. Very rare. Yeah. You see, airplanes are only pressurized at 10,000 feet. Anybody who knows anything about medicine knows that she can't fly. She has to be driven. And so they, they he's like keeps talking it up, doing his thing. 
It's so awesome. And and the cops totally freaking fall for it, man. It's so awesome. He does this one little line because he says something like, if they were to fly, um, it would cause her great pain. It causes her to make certain delirious deliriums. <laughs> you, can, you can see him kind of like barely holding on. Like he's starting to go back to his crazy <laughs> self. And... Uh, the cops think that Fawcett is uh, is on something, and I'm thinking Dom is about to turn into Captain Chaos at this moment because Reynolds all of a sudden stops yep. and tells the cops that they they have to get the senator's wife to California in 72 hours. And do you notice that he like holds Dom's hand or something? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's a, he does not want Captain Chaos in this. So is situation. that the thing? Is that what he's doing? Like when he stops his hand, is basically to keep him from changing I, I think so, or yeah. something? I don't know, yeah. but. Um, yeah. So he's very well aware of Captain Chaos's habits at this point. He's able to grab his hand. And uh, the cops let them go and tell them to take it easy as long as they're in, in New Jersey. And uh, Dom says, uh, was it Beauty terrific? He's letting uh, he's letting uh, Reynolds know, like, man, Beauty did a good job. And the doc says something that she should be on the cover of AMA Journal. And he just knocks the fuck out. <laughs> Yep. It's like he used all his. I don't know if y'all have ever. Maybe y'all were teenagers in high school and y'all had way too much to drink, or you were super high, and you got to your parent. You got back home with your parents, and you just turn on this switch of soberness for like a solid five minutes. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what our doc just went through. <laughs> he just knocks. Yeah, out. it could be. <laughs> and Reynolds says uh, he doesn't want to ever know where Dom found his doctor. He tells him a couple of times, "Don't ever freaking tell me." Where you found this damn doctor. The, the strange thing was that all the animals were... Don't tell me. Interrupted. He's like, I don't, don't want to know. <laughs> and uh, now we see Arthur on the phone. He's just saying some random shit and how he'll get them. He's in a, he's in a, he's in a phone booth, for those of you who don't recognize this particular feature of the yes, landscape. Yes, he's in a phone booth. And Arthur tries to stop the lady... Um, because he tries to stop this lady because she, what happens is he's in the phone booth he's talking he's not paying attention and this van actually i thought it was the ambulance at first but it's not it just happens to be another van that is of orange color <laughs> and she's backing up and she mm -hmm. she gets too close to the door where he would be able to get out and he's like he gets off the phone and he's like madame madame and he's like trying to get a hold of her and the lady says some shit about how she isn't a madame and she has an apartment and stuff and i guess a madame is like a lower quality way to respond to a woman i don't know but she blows well, up on him the, the joke the joke the joke is that he addresses her as madam yeah okay and and it's basically it's basically it's a conflict between two registers of english and Foyt's register of english madam is how you address a woman you don't know, whose name you don't know when you're trying to get her attention. In her register of English, a madam is a keeper of a disorderly house, so to speak. Oh, see, this is why I brought Faustus on, everybody. He helps me understand the right. funny. <laughs> so, I did understand. I was like, why did, he get, why did she get so mad about him calling her that? Because he's accusing her of running a string of prostitutes. I mean, that's you know, what she thinks, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, nobody wants to be accused of that unless you're actually doing it. And yep. uh, she gets super mad. Or may maybe especially if you're especially. actually doing it. And uh, yep. she, she gets super mad. And uh, he he realizes he can't get out, so he has to squeeze under this very tiny little opening that's at the bottom of the telephone booth, which is perfect. Oh, poor Arthur. You know, he's just... Uh, that guy gets... Oof, gets no, no respect no from respect. anyone. He's just getting hit and hit and hit. 
Now we're back with good old 007 Roger Moore, and he's with a different girl, of course. And this is a pretty hilarious bit that they do in the movie. Uh, Roger Moore is always with a always with that different person, and uh, his uh, his girl almost presses on a button that would have ejected her out of the car because she was going about to light. She's about to light a cigarette. He's like, no, 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 not that one. That one is a very dangerous button. Do not touch that unless you want to be ejected out of the car. And uh, the ladies, once again, uh, the ladies, once again, that we uh, have been become accustomed to, the zipper girls, as I'll call them, get stopped by another officer. and This time in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Because that's one thing I do love about the movie. We slowly start progressing. We realize, okay, we're getting a little closer. We're moving our way to California. And they're allowed to go any direction, any route they want to go. So they could all be in different areas as far as we're concerned. They could go head down toward Texas or go straight across, whatever. Now they're in Pennsylvania. The low zip comes in handy once again, of course. You know, you cannot go wrong with that, especially in 1981. And we're back in the ambulance van, and uh, Fossa is just super high. She's still trying to get off of that high. And uh, I don't know if she says anything here. I just have that she's super high. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It must be a quick scene of checking in on the ambulance van. And then we catch mm-hmm. up with the rich dude, Mr. Compton. Who is just doing a full-blown wheelie. And this is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. So he's doing a full, full-blown full wheelie down the road uh, for the whole race, basically. Like, every time you see him from now right. on, he's doing that this wheelie. Because Shaky is, is a heavy guy. You know, he didn't quite lose that weight. So he's kind of weighing in on the back of the motorcycle. And it's funny because Shaky is dressed like an old lady. So you just see this old lady in the back of a motorcycle barely holding on. And they're going like a 1,000 miles per hour. It is so freaking good. The, but it, the joke will get better, actually, as yeah. the movie develops, as we will see. Um <laughs> This is this is a long distance joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm gonna, that's I, th- I think I might put that on my tombstone. This was a long distance joke. This <laughs> <is a> joke. <laughs> and uh, we're uh, back at the ambulance, and Dean and Sammy are telling them to pull over the van. They're like, "Hey, pull over, pull over, pull over." Uh, we want to give you our blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to describe this scene that happens here? Oh, I mean, it's sort of, you know, they do, let's see if I can remember it, because my notes on it are a little thin, but, you know, Dom DeLuise is a bit soft-hearted about getting the blessing from two Catholic priests, so even though um, Burt Reynolds doesn't want to, they pull over, Um, they go over, and I think what they basically say, what happens is Don, Dean Martin walks to the passenger side, uh, and Dom DeLuise says you should bless the person back, because she's very sick. Oh, yeah. uh, but and so they open up the back door, out steps the doc, uh, and he says, "You know, he's Bert Ross says he's the one you should really be blessing. He's the <laughs> one who needs help." So, but meanwhile, meanwhile, Dean Martin really can't take his eyes off of Farrah Fawcett. But they manage to get rid of him. But while this is going on, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. cops out, goes to the rear driver's side wheel of the ambulance, and lets all the air out of so the tire. Good. And you know what I loved about this. <laughs> My God, Dean Martin is so good. When this when this first kicks off, Dean walks out in front of the van, right? Of course, and Dom tells tells Dean, mm-hmm. seeing that he's a priest, he says, "Nice car, Father." And Dean just says, "Thank you, asshole." <laughs> but of course, yeah. they couldn't hear him because he just says it so. <laughs> he's like, "Thank you, asshole." 
Oh, God, it's so gold, man. That had me laughing my ass off. And, yeah, so they realized, oh, shit, we got a flat tire, these priests. And, you know, Reynolds tried to tell them, hey, dude, how many times are you going to see a priest in a damn freaking Ferrari? Like, that is not going to happen. A black priest in a red Ferrari. Oh, yeah, yeah, the fact that he was a black priest. He's like, come on, man, what's going on here? (laughs) Tom DeLuise is having none of his. They have black priests. (laughs) Yeah. There's even a black cardinal. Oh man! And so then, uh, so Dom realizes there's a flat tire, and Reynolds gives him a good old bitch slap that he deserves. Just boom! Just slaps his ass. You know what the problem is? Those guys weren't fathers. <laughs> they were mothers. <laughs> they were mothers. So now we're nice, nice allusion to a word, world, word we can't put in our PG rated movie. That's one thing um, I was going to ask you about. Was like, I guess this was PG because there's a lot of times where I feel like it could have gotten darker or more derogatory, and they yep. just filled in with some more, the you know, kind of beat around the bush stuff. So yeah, that makes mm-hmm. actually a lot of sense now that I think about it. And we're going to actually get to another part coming up pretty soon where I was like, ah, I, I thought he was going to say something else. So we'll we'll get there pretty quick. So now we're back with Roger Moore, and he's uh, with a nice brunette. He has a nice brunette with him now, um, which I prefer. This is the third, third, third Bond yeah, girl third at this Bond point? Girl. Love yep. me a brunette Bond girl, by the way. I'd, I'd prefer a brunette over most blondes. No offense to y'all blondes. Hey, be proud. Most, most guys like y'all. Congratulations. So he's just nice. talking about being a legend at his own time and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, uh, he hears on his, on his, uh, on his radio... Um, what would you call it? CB radio? He's like, hey, uh, you yep. hear this guy? Hey, little silver four wheeler. They just flew past me in a good looking seat cover. Uh, son, back that thing down. You got smoke. He's all in the back door. If you all referring to me, it's a oh, okay. So I'm sorry, I kept reading. <laughs> I got into the accent. So then, uh, so then Bond says, if you're referring to me, I request that you speak more clearly in the Queen's English. <laughs> That is if we're going to converse on this wireless. And then he's so yep. perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's, uh, he's doing his whole British shit. He says, bless your heart. Cheers. And then his girl's making him a drink this whole time. So he grabs a drink and he's like, down the hatch. <laughs> so perfect. God, I wish I could have been 007. It seems like a dope-ass gig. <laughs> I would love that shit. So then uh, now the ambulance stops at a gas station. And... Uh, you know, this was what I was I was wondering, like, when are they going to stop for gas? Like, there's no way they're going to get all the way to California without stopping for gas at some time. So I like that they actually put this into the scene, into the movie, I mean. And this is when we, when we were talking about where you see that he's talking to the guy at the gas station. And he's, like, filling a premium and unleaded. And he has multiple mm-hmm. tanks within the van, I guess, to help with um, the amount of distance that it can go. And also, they probably have souped it up, so it needs different types of fuel. It probably has like a flex fuel system or some shit. I don't even know. But uh, the ramp- fill them up on one, fill them up on one and two, and this is that's leaded and unleaded. And this is she goes both ways. <laughs> and then he says that round orange moon pie with the white hat on. He'll pay for it. <laughs> yeah, called him a fucking moon pie, bro. <laughs> and. Uh, Dom comes in with a shitload of snacky snacks. Like, that reminded me of back in high school when you were just getting super high after mm-hmm. a party and your friend just comes in with all the freaking snackies. And uh, he's just doing his Dom thing, just being happy as hell. There's something about him plus that a big, you happy. Plus a big gulp, Dr. Pepper. Do you remember the big yes. gulp? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, gets, does, he does the little Dr. Pepper jingle with a little dance. Do you think that stuff is paid for? Um, I... 
don't know. Because that'd be legendary. Um, they're like, we'll put, put this much money in if you just sing our jingle in there. Just have Dom do it. He's fun. There's a lot about this scene that I really like, but I think my favorite moment comes when the guys on the motorcycle go wheelieing by. They're still doing a wheelie, right? And Burt Reynolds is standing by the gas pumps, and he's just sort of looking at them with this kind of incredulous stare like what are those guys doing <laughs> and then he just sort of shrugs and goes back about his business it's like really it's really fine acting um on burt reynolds's oh part God. i thought yeah that, that's like like i said he is one of those he does not have to say much and and you know what i didn't have didn't have that in my notes but i do remember what you're talking about and that was one of those really quick moments where he's like god damn this race is insane you know but i know where that we're gonna beat mm-hmm. them all he's so confident about it and they're taking off uh from the uh from the gas station and reynolds puts up pulls up next to a cop car that just happens to be hanging out by the road and he asks the cop if he takes his law and order in this town seriously and the cop of course points to a banner and says are you kidding and the sign says re-elect sean kill a cameo scanlon <laughs> God's guns and guts keep us safe from the hippie nuts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that shit, man. That is such a fucking good little shit. Like the fact that they made an entire banner for this movie just to like point out that one mm-hmm. joke. Another like minor detail about this scene that you probably only get if you listen to the commentary track with Hal Needham is that the actor playing this cop in Missouri is the same actor who was playing the cop in Pennsylvania. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Cops are individual. Well, it's basically says, yeah, you know, a lot of cops look like that. So, you know. Hey, I didn't notice it, so I, I guess they the change of uniform helps. But that's yeah. so funny. Cops are totally interchangeable in movies. And uh, Reynolds tells the cop that the person in the van was a, a flashing victim. Like, that's why they're taking her to the hospital. And that the guys in the Ferrari that are at the gas station are the guys that hurt the victim because they preferred to the flash looking like a like looking like priests. <laughs> and uh I guess they think it I think it, I guess they think it's kinkier <laughs> that way. <laughs> but you also you mentioned there's also the mention of the line they said, Oh, an officer. I think they might be armed. Oh, that's right. His response was, oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I hope they're armed. I want to take care of these cats. And it's crazy, man, because he just like pulls into the middle of the road and just stops the car cold. I'm like, oh, man, if I was driving that Ferrari, I probably would have hit the guy because he just stops it cold and he tells him to get the hell out of the car. And he tells us something like, put your hands you know put your hands on the car but he says it in a different way where they just start kind of tapping the top of the car and making music and shit <laughs> and it pisses mm-hmm. them off and the cop they go back and forth with dean and sammy and uh he tells sammy he calls sammy shorty and he asks dean why do you call me shorty and dean tells him because you're small small s m all it's like oh poor sammy davis always getting shit Mm. and with reynolds and dom and reynolds is frustrated because the damn priests have cost them some time and apparently there's a roadblock ahead it's funny because reynolds says hold on a minute give me a moment to gather my thoughts and then like two seconds later he's like i've gathered my thoughts i gathered (laughs) yeah he just fix he figures it out so quick he's just like oh i got it he sees like a goddamn 18 wheeler um 
with a tr- big old trailer up ahead, right? And he calls him up or something. Mm-hmm. Gets them on the CB. Oh, man. The good old days with the CB radio. You just contact whoever the hell you want. He's like, hey, little boy. Look in your rearview mirror. You see the ambulance back here? We need a piggyback ride. And uh, which, by the way, I don't know if y'all know this. Uh, you know, me being from south south side of San Antonio, we always called piggyback rides conkies. I don't know how confident. I don't hmm. know. I mean, I'm not confident as uh, how many people know about that, but we always called them conkies. So <laughs> I just wanted to mention that. I'm curious if anybody else ever called them that. <laughs> so he wants a piggyback ride. And then now we see Arthur stopping all the cars. He's basically bond, uh, and he's looking at his license plate, but he, he has like a flipper. Rot- rotating license plates, the old so trick. So gold. <clears throat> and uh, he switches it out, and it's funny because he says some kind of shit. Like, I forget what Roger Moore says, and then Arthur just goes, British humor. Gotta love it. <laughs> the joke, as I recall, is Roger Moore asks, say, what's going on here anyway? Uh, and the respond, Arthur's response is, it's a stakeout. And the resp- to which Roger Moore responds, oh, bon appetit, uh, <laughs> yeah, and drives off. Right. <laughs> yep, that is it. And, uh, and he said, oh, God, he, Roger Moore, maybe he was, he, maybe he's not the favorite Bond. I'm not a huge Bond guy. And actually, it's been one of my goals before I croak. To watch as many Bond films as I can, because that is one of those series that just kind of got away. And I don't know if maybe I won't like it. I don't know. But the ones that I have seen, I loved. Um, but I would love to see more Roger Moore's Bond movies. And I love how he carries himself. He just has this vibe about him that's perfect. And I know, like as he got older, the Bond movies got a little more ridiculous because you're. It's kind of the same thing we dealt with Charles Bronson in his older age, where he's fighting guys, and you're like, "Come on, man!" Like. <laughs> Mm -hmm. there's no way you can throw a swing like that and knock a guy that far away and so he takes off and reynolds was able to get their car into that trailer that he you know that he reached out to on the cb and this is when we see a wonderful heartwarming moment with reynolds and uh fawcett and he he goes into the back of the the ambulance and she tells him you look tired he's like more frustrated than tired and she's like, you think you're going to win? And he's like, this crazy race? Damn right I am. <laughs> and uh, he's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm sitting here having a conversation with somebody who kidnapped me. He's like, who? He says, like, who can blame anybody for kidnapping you? And she's like, you give me laughing gas. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, you have an awful beautiful laugh. He's, he always has like some like sh- charming shit to say to every horrible thing that he's done. To to, to, to accusations of you know multiple yeah. felonies, frankly. Yeah, he has a really sneaky way of making everything he does that's horrible seem like ah, come on, it's not that bad. And uh, they go back and yep. forth, and he talks a little bit about his dad. He says his father used to work in the coal mines, forty three years. And he says uh, he was going to retire. He's going to buy a houseboat, move down to Florida, fish on the back of the boat, and tell my mom lies. But he died two days before he was going to retire. And he's like, I guess you never know, you know? And so I think that's part of his motivation of basically doing whatever the fuck he wants is you don't know when it's going to end, so you might as well do anything that makes you happy. And a part of that for him is racing like a son of a bitch. 
And that's when he says he made up his mind then. I was going to go for it. Everything I wanted. And so, yeah, they go back and forth. And this is kind of where you see a nice connection. This is where you actually see that Reynolds can actually be serious and get you still into the movie. Like, it's just magical. And uh, he says, like, he loves talking to her and stuff. It's been really nice. Mm-hmm. He's like, you've made me feel feelings. <laughs> you've, you've gotten into my heart, into that giant shield I've created beyond my heart. And, uh, yeah, so and I feel like Fire Fawcett it's has a, that effect. It's a good it story. Is. I like it. Whether it, whether it's a true story, you know, old, uh, I guess that's the sort of it's the sort of thing only an old cynical person like myself might think. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've seen all the tricks in the books, Faustus. You, you know a guy's well, to. <laughs> yeah, but we get this broken by another moment of comic relief with Mel and Terry. Um, <laughs> They're stopped by Foyt. He asked them what they're doing. They said, uh, well, we uh, drove out to get some cigarettes. Um, and he looks down and says, with North Carolina plates, you're looking for cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, you know, I was sad about this because I really was rooting for Terry and Mel. Like, they were probably some of my favorite <laughs> characters. <laughs> and they unfortunately get caught. And, uh, yeah, they, yep. they get caught. They get kicked out of the car, and they aren't able to make it through. They let the 18-wheeler go by no problem. So freaking Reynolds had the best idea ever to be able to jump back there. And I think we see Dom mm-hmm. working on the van at some point. So he's kind of ter- you know tuning it up and getting it ready. Mm-hmm. Foyt's fixing the, tra- fixing the transmission, which was identified as failing that's before. Right, that's right. So that's when he had his time to be able to <clears> fix the transmission because all that was going on before. It's a long trip, man. Like So, yeah, so he fixed it up, ready to go. And and then they uh, they stopped that big gray van that we saw that we mentioned one time earlier, where that guy was lifting it up without a jack. He asked the guys mm-hmm. to get out of the van, and it's funny because he's like talking shit to them. But the guy that gets out of the van, the driver is like fucking six foot four, six. <laughs> he's like a giant ass. He's probably it's like, like six foot four <laughs> across. I mean, he's like a linebacker, man. <laughs> he's huge. And uh, Arthur like Foyt is like, oh, you think you're so big, huh? You think- <laughs> you think you're so strong. <laughs> you think you're so big. <laughs> and uh, he really brings off that character of like, oh, this guy's been messed with his entire life. Like he just hates all guys that are alpha males. And uh, he loves his job because he gets to tell these alpha males what to do. And uh, it's magical. He does a good job with it. Yep. The char- th- this character who he gets out of the van, who's identified in the script as Potofsky, uh or Potoksky, uh, who I don't think is given a name, actually, in the release, is played by someone named Norman Grabowski, who apparently was a real-life builder of hot rods. Oh, so he was a name in, in the racing biz, huh? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, probably. And uh, I, I guarantee you nobody talked shit to him because he is a freaking giant. And uh, yep. he actually did a good job. Like he does, they don't give him too many, and maybe that's why we don't see them too often. But the lines that they do give him, and when he's you know doing his thing, he's awesome. And uh, so yep. they kick him out. You know, Foyt kicks him out of the van, and apparently uh, they're out of the van. And so Foyt puts the van in park, or he at least tries to put it in park. But I guess he put it in drive or neutral, and the van just takes off and explodes into some cop cars. I was like, what the fuck? What the hell happened? <laughs> it looked like a ghost just got into the van and just drove and just just 
freaking went into the cop cars and exploded. Well, I think I think I think you know he thought he was going to get in neutral, and maybe they were carrying a lot of extra yeah, fuel. Yeah, true. Maybe I mean, there's some weight on there. Like it just took off, and uh, and I don't know. Yeah. Like some of y'all have driven manuals and stuff where the car's in in neutral. You know, it moves, but holy shit, that thing took off, and uh, we get a good explosion. And then we hear, of course, some Asian music. So we're back with our good old Japanese guys. And they are driving at night. Yep. And the cops can't see them with their fancy infrared goggles. And they drive by. And I think the cops, tech, they check the, the speed. It's like 160 or something like that. If they, they say 120 miles an hour. This is the one I actually had Mrs. Dr. Oh, Faustus good. listen Did you, to. Do you have anything on Cause, that? Because there's, like there's, there's a lot of dialogue, and it's, it's not too far off from what little we have in the subtitles. Essentially, they're like insulting the American cops, the American system. Uh, they're saying this is incredibly stupid, and we're going to completely evade these guys. Um, That's awesome. Like, they, they just... <laughs> And they do it all in Cantonese, so nobody can nobody can understand it except for you know people who speak the language. So, uh. so <laughs> I guess they got the last laugh because nobody knew yep. what they were saying. But that's awesome. What was that thing? Actually, the, the cops. Do you remember when we used to chase people before there was oh, radar? Yeah. Yeah, this is boring, man. <laughs> and I love their goggles. Like, they look crazy with these giant-ass red goggles on. And uh, then we see the Sheik, who's apparently still in the race. We hadn't seen him in a little bit. And he's uh, stopping to pick up yep. some food. And he's, a maid at, he's amazed at the bazongas of the server who pays her. Uh, he, yeah. he pulls up. He pulls up. He orders all this stuff, and it's all like Middle Eastern stereotype Middle Eastern food, uh, which of course they have. So it must be one of those Greek diners. <laughs> um, and you think I'm kidding? You know, you ever, have you ever been to a Greek diner and seen their, their menus? They're like you know encyclopedias. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you can just exactly. order anything. And um, she comes out. Says, that was the first order we ever got by phone. Uh, she leans over. She hands him his food. And he look. She's she's wearing this like waitress uniform, which the first top two buttons are open. So in this in this position, yes, she does show uh, impressive, you know, impressive <laughs> cleavage. Um, and this is actually this is I have to say it. This is the scene that I first thought of when I thought of Cannonball Run, um, because yeah, I saw it when I was fourteen yeah. for the first time. Uh, and so this is the memory that burned in most dramatically. Uh, and so if you look at my cover art that I commissioned for it, that's what we oh, reproduced. Oh, it's beautiful, man. I um, will definitely be posting that out there for everybody to check out. It is so freaking awesome. Yep. I love it. <laughs> the scene is prob- was probably improvised. It does not appear in, in the screenplay. Um, but Jackie, um, sorry, Jamie Farr pulls it off with great panache. He... Um, Gives her, you know, when he asks this for the check, which is like $6.50, he gives her this ring with some huge jewel on it and says, I shall return for you, my desert flower, drives off. Then he backs up and he then he pulls out and he hands her a, this rather nonplussed waitress, played by an actress named Vicky Rigel, uh, a wad of cash and says, if he also says, have you ever considered joining a harem? Then he hands her the wad of cash and says, get yourself a physical, and then drives <laughs> says, off again. Get yourself a physical. <laughs> Talk about stuff you couldn't get away with oh today. Oh my I, god, <laughs> dude, that whole freaking bit is just insanity, yep. man. I had to watch that two times, like two or three times. I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> he's so good, though. He's just insane. And the fact that he's driving the car and he reverses back, and she just does... They basically paid her to 
cut a couple of you know just bring a couple of buttons down and look confused as hell and she did a fantastic job at that yep and so yep. so he takes off we're back in the van now with dom and and uh faucet up front and she says uh, she says how do you ask this but isn't it a little strange having that guy, you know, running inside your head? And Dom says, oh, he's not here. He's out there somewhere helping people. He's always helping people. So then that's when we find out uh, about the origin story of Captain Chaos. Uh, kids were beating, beating up Dom when he was in grade school. He didn't have any friends growing up, and it, it's actually a very touching moment because he even talks about uh, he. I think he says something like, "I didn't have any friends growing up, not, not you know, not like Reynolds." You know, he says his actual name, but he's like not like Reynolds. And, and then he doesn't can't really think of any other you know names. Like this has been his friend. Like this is the guy that has let him into mm -hmm. that circle, and he really appreciates it. And so you really feel for him. And apparently when he was getting picked on as a kid, he lost his shit, beat up all the dudes, and Captain Chaos was born. Fawcett says that she would like an alter ego like that, uh, and she'd probably wear a mask to be pink. Do you remember, <laughs> remember this part? <laughs> she mentioned yes. something that. Um, if, I, if I had a mask and cape, I'd like them to be pink. I like pink. <laughs> and he goes, Dom goes, even down... You know, down there, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I don't, I don't even wear any." <laughs> I don't. <laughs> she's like, "Yeah, I don't even wear any undies." Like, uh, well, nineteen eighty-one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so what? Moving down the road, looks like Michael and Jackie have a computer, a computer malfunction outside El Paso. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and then Marcy and Jill get pulled over by a state trooper. Of course. And they're preparing to do to do the old jumpsuit routine. Except the trooper walks up and we see her we see the trooper bend down and we realize this is a lady trooper, uh, whose uniform tunic is also open, I think, about two buttons below regulation. <laughs> uh do you know who the actress I do who plays not her? No. It's Valerie oh. Perrin, apparently. That was a pretty good little bit. Like Lex, Lu Lex Luthor's girlfriend in Superman, if I remember correctly. She's looking good. Yep. Um, so I guess they didn't get no, out of that. No, no. She uh, she showed him what's up. She was like, "Hey, I know this game. It's gotten me this far in life, and I'm gonna let y'all get away with this shit." So she stops them. Goldfarb, or I guess you know we say Roger Moore, driving down the road, being pursued by a cop. Decides to use some of the devices in his car. Oh, different Bond girl this time, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so he smoke screens and then uh, oil slicks the cop off the road. By the way, the spin out on this scene is just amazing. Like, the way the car spins is so freaking fast. It's like in... It has that sort of Mario Kart hit a banana type spin that mm -hmm. I didn't even know was possible physically in an actual car, but it spins out super hard. And the way that uh, he ends up doing it is like it's like a mixture of oil, and then they have like a smog and shit to throw him off because she's like mm -hmm. flipping switches and shit. And yep. all of a sudden, the cabin starts getting full of filled up with smog and shit, <laughs> like fog and all this stuff. <laughs> they basically hot box the car, yo. A uh, foggy day in London town. <laughs> According to um, uh, Hal Needham's commentary, they actually used a rocket 
on the on the cop car to give it that oh. half, that fast spin. They had they had a specialist in hydrogen peroxide rockets. Uh, Damn, that's dangerous as hell. <laughs> yeah, Holy no no kidding. Shit. But it makes sense. But that's what that's what happens when you make, let a yeah, stuntman direct, right? But, but it's still like for practical effects, and that being nothing computer generated that is a legitimate car spinning out super super fast it's a freaking amazing and yeah i remember i when i first saw it i was like that can't be real like holy shit i've never seen a car spin out like that now it actually makes sense because i couldn't i just couldn't fathom physically in my head like with physics how a car could spin out like that and now it makes sense of course it was fucking rocket propelled that's yeah you gotta love how and so he yep. uh so then again we hear some uh some wonderful asian music and uh we are back with yeah. the boys and jackie decides to watch uh a nice little softcore porn as he's as is he's driving oh, that that that's uh that's behind the green door that that ain't oh, softcore it? porn <laughs> Oh, it's it a real is? porn movie, okay. actually. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it had 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 Marilyn Chambers. Oh, okay. The, so he was watching that real shit. Jackie don't mess around. He wants to watch that real stuff. Yep. And it, what I love is the fact that it's a giant v- VHS tape that you have to put into your giant, <laughs> you know, to your dash. And he's he's paying attention. I mean, obviously, you know, if it's real stuff, he's distracted, and he ends up yep. running the car off the road and they're kind of into the grass for a little bit then he pops back into the main road and this the his uh scientist psychic sci- gets up and he's super pissed off he starts yelling at him and shit. he's like what the fuck is wrong with you man why the hell are you watching the movie for we gotta we gotta freaking drive and i just love this whole part and he's like all right all right fine 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 like fine we'll get back on it and i think he tries to put back the vhs <laughs> He tries to put it back in. He's like, no, no, yep. no, you cannot watch this, dude. You're gonna get us. De- you're gonna get us killed, bro. So now we're back with the sheik, and finally the sheik gets stopped. I was like, okay, if this guy's such a shitty driver. How come we haven't seen him getting stopped by a cop? Well, here it is. He gets stopped by a cop. He takes the ticket, and he he, he kind of just is like, okay, cool, like whatever. You need me this ticket? I'll move on with my day. I think he has a couple of lines in here just talking shit about you know America and all this. And he takes off like a son of a bitch. I love this. Like this is the pimpest way to take off after a stop. He takes off. He flicks them off. Yep. He yells some shit at him. Shit at them. This is for you and the judge. <laughs> and they chase off. They chase after him. And then we're back with yep. Mad Dog and Batman, and uh, the cops are are stopping <laughs> them as well. And uh, Mad Dog is like, ah, oh, you know, I got, I got a trick. I, you know, I know what I'm doing. I got, or I think it's Batman. I think Batman's the other guy. He's like, I got a trick that always works. And he tells the cop, I have no brakes. The brakes aren't working. Help us! Like we don't know what's going on, man. And uh, the cop goes, pulls up in front of them. He's like, ah, works every fucking time. But it turns out the brakes are, of course, <laughs> not working. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck. Yep. I guess he, it's the ultimate jinx. He. <laughs> He claimed that the brakes were working, and all of a sudden they're not working. He's like, "Oh shit, they're not working!" And of course, there's a train this is, on the tracks. Yep, this is a problem. The train at a grade crossing oh, right in front. Oh, so good! And of course, there's a perfectly placed, nice little ramp uh, situation. Gosh, you know how just brought it with this movie man like just so much good action like if you like there's just so many types of movies that wouldn't exist without a movie like this you know like car movies and Mm -hmm. racing movies have continued to be pretty consistent throughout american film and you still see them you know you i mean there's like how many freaking 
Fast and Furious movies, for God's sakes, you know? So uh, this is just those early beginnings of what makes those movies awesome, and you see them jump over that train. And then we're back with Jackie Chan and his homie, and they start trying to get uh, get up on a cliff. They're they're kind of like I don't know if you remember this scene. They're like like with a bunch of other doom buggies and stuff, right? They kind of get they kind of get stuck up and get stuck in some kind of off road yeah. race, uh, <laughs> out of confusion or computer failure or whatever, <laughs> and they get stuck. <laughs> but fortunately, technology has of an answer. Of course, it does. They. Uh, they press a couple of little buttons, and uh, some sort of super rocket thingy pops up, and they just, oh, it's awesome. They take off in the middle of the air, just boom, just shoot off into the air, and they're flying, and you hear them screaming. And then we're with all the racers just hanging out where they've all been stopped for some reason. It looks like there's some construction going on, and this is a little hit in the road that all of them have had to wait at. This is what kind of makes the, to me, this is like the, the last part of the movie where they're all together for a little bit and then all of a sudden it's a race to the finish which kind of worked out really nice because now you're able to get all the characters in at the same time so it was a really good idea on the uh the writer's part and dean goes up to reynolds all pissed off about the flashers thing he's like telling him shit about he's like yeah very funny you know you got us screwed over with the cops and he told him that we were flashers and uh Mm -hmm. if if he had uh the time he would have he would take those rosary beads and stick them up your nose is what he tells him and i could have sworn he was gonna say stick it up your ass this is the part i was talking about like this would have been a classic take that rosary beads and i'm gonna stick them up your ass but obviously but it's still it's still a pg rated movie so So he went ahead and went up with the nose and uh dean tells him yeah these rosary beads he's so cool about it (laughs) yeah rosary beads um He's like, uh, could I give you? Could I give you a little advice? And Reynolds is like, yeah, go for it. He's like, bring friends. And of course, of course, Reynolds looks back. He's like, yeah, bring friends. And he looks back, and of course, Dom is gone. <laughs> he's just left there yep. alone. And uh, now this is when we're about to get into a nice, sweet ass action scene. Maybe the most actiony scene in the whole yep. movie. We see Mr. Compton. He arrives with yep. Shaky. And Shaky's pissed off. He's like, "Okay, I'm sick of this shit of leaning back on the on the damn motorcycle." He's like, "How come?" You, uh, he's like, "How about you wear the wig from now on?" And we see, we also see 007. Of course, he's with an he's with an entirely different woman, and he's also in a full white suit now. So at some point, he changed. <laughs> you gotta love that. All of a sudden, yep. these Hell's Angels come up. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about this scene, Faustus. <laughs> There's a there's a special person. Uh oh, bikers. Yes, right. Who is our lead biker? But gotta love Peter him. Fonda, right? <laughs> yep. Who, great association with bikers. They come up. They basically start harassing, um, you know, our our bride and groom here, uh, and they don't get out of it. They cut his tie, and eventually says, "There's one thing I want." As Peter Fonda says, "Your ass," and it turns. It, it just it devolves into a gigantic fight. So good. Um, because basically, you know, they start. It starts with you know, does anyone else want to get involved? Um, and you know, it's eventually like Bruce. You sorry, Bert will get involved. You know, starting in the fight, as will of course Jackie Chan, because he will never run away run away from a fight. We see um, 
you know, we see Marcy and Jill are being, you know, grabbed by these bikers and hauled off into an abandoned gas station uh, with, you know, the obvious implied threat of what's going to happen next. But who shows up on the scene? Da, Captain da, da, da. Chaos. <laughs> and he kicks everyone's ass. He runs into this vast station. You see, like, bodies flying out. Um, you know, giant destruction of the gas station. Uh, JJ and Jamie get into the fight. It's a huge thing and mad dog you know with his partner he's like his partner's fighting one guy and what i really liked is you know he's not doing a very good job so mad dog picks up like a piece of debris and he says you know you wouldn't last a minute in the new york city subway system and he the claw then he kicks this guy's ass clobbers him you know first over the shoulders and then on the <laughs> leg and brings him down says that's how you do it so good um so the fight goes on and on. Jackie Chan is probably like the most impressive fighter in it um, because he just kicks everyone with oh, you know, all so kinds good. of martial arts stuff. And and Ma- Michael Hue is sort of like rotating around Jackie where, in so that he always has Jackie Chan in the position between yeah. him and bikers. Then there's an announce. Then there's an announce that the road is open. Yep. Okay, so everyone runs for their vehicles. Jackie stays for the longest time to you know kick a few more bikers, you know, with like a double you know split kick, which is a very impressive. Although you know, I love it because his pants split. Uh, he he splits his pants yep. right in the groin area, and he does that little cute little Jackie like oh oh shit, <laughs> he kind of covers his crotch and yep. he walks away. I love that. <laughs> all right, so so eventually well, it's all it's all bikers down. Love it. Very impressive. Good work, guys. Uh, and now, since the road is open, they are now racing through the last bit of Southern California. Uh, and Captain Chaos appears behind the wheel of the ambulance and drives it very fast. And they are approaching the end of the road in, what is it, Redondo yeah, Beach? Yeah, I think they're heading to Redondo Beach. And you actually see, um, they do a quick little cut to, the, to, to Roger Moore. And he's with another Bond girl, of course. And they're talking back and forth, and she's like, "I can't believe I'm I'm with George Hamilton." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I love that." They are. <laughs> yes, Roger Moore. Roger Moore looks very yes, deflated like, oh, when he hears shit, that. What the hell's going on? They all get into the same area all at the same time, of course, and uh, everyone just gets out of their cars. And I really like this about the movie is they all have to get out and start running to the finish line. And, of course, Captain Chaos is in yep. the lead. Where Dom DeLuise would ever be in the lead of any type of race is only in this movie when he's as Captain Chaos. He's just running as, like a, running as fast as he can. Everyone else falls over one another, mm-hmm. like comedically, this giant group of people just fall. And it's just up to Chaos? And Marcy from the from the zip ladies, the zipper ladies, a woman yep. randomly yells for someone to save her baby. And of course Captain Chaos can't help right. it, man. This guy's a straight up superhero. He jumps blindly into some water of some sort. And of course, now Marcy goes ahead, clocks out of the race, they win it. Captain Chaos actually saves it turns out it's a damn dog. She was like, save my baby. Right. And it's a dog. Reynolds is pissed the hell off. This is like the most serious he acts and so angry, but it's very funny. He comes up mm-hmm. to him and he's like, he's like, we're sick of Captain Chaos. And so is everyone else. He rips off Dom, Dom's mask. Like he rips off the cape. And then he slaps his freaking pocket full of water, his little front pocket. Slaps it out of water. And uh, Dom just sort of ducks down. And he pops up. I don't, I don't care, because in reality, I've always wanted to be. Then he ducks yep. down. And he's like Captain USA. Captain. 
He's got a whole new costume. Oh right? yeah, he's all of a sudden he just pulls costumes out of his ass. I don't even know how this happens. Right, right out of hammer space, as it were. Um, it's amazing, and everyone oh, laughs. Yeah. Um, and the yeah, you know, so then you know we're sort of at a we're sort of at a kind of an, an after party. Um, everyone is drinking, and up rolls oh, Arthur yeah. Foyt. Um, and he tells uh, he tells uh, Foyt comes through, and he tells him how to. Um, he's like how to. He tells him, "How do you feel now that you've raped the American highways?" <laughs> it's like, "Goddamn, Voight, do you have to make everything so, so hardcore?" I mean, this is a this is a PG movie for God's sakes, and Voight's just talking shit. Yep. And um, Bond tells him, you know, Roger Moore tells him, "Feel free to use the the lighter in my car. Here's a cigar. You know, go and jump Here. in and light it up." Yeah, looks yeah. like you could use a smoke. <laughs> Why don't you take one of these? Feel free to use the lighter in my car. <laughs> and of course, because Bond expects him to get jet propelled out of the car, he makes that suggestion. But he ends up using the correct lighter, apparently, because Bond notices him smoking in the car. Bond gets in the car and asks him how he lit that cigar. He's like, how did you light that cigar? And Mr. Foyt just says, well, with the lighter, of course. He presses that button that you're not supposed to press when you're inside a 007 car. And we go ahead and see Roger Moore fly sky high into the water. And uh, now, you yep. know, everyone's just getting all boozed up at the dock, which is, I'm pretty sure what was going on through most of the time at this at this movie set. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's just a good old party. We're all like, hey, hey, what's up? You know, the Zipper Girls won. <laughs> Reynolds didn't win, but yep. it's okay. He's still Reynolds. It's all good. There's a, there's a line. We'll do this again next year. And then, you know, we pull back. Helicopter shot of the Redonda Marina. Children's choir singing a cheerful anthem to, end, to go to move into end credits. End of so movie. So good. And it... It and it was a, really a good, good time. time. And I love that the, uh, they work in the bloopers and stuff at the end. That's so much fun. Yep. And I love that they... Uh, and apparently, I think Jackie Chan, after this, uh, from seeing Hal Needham do it, like he decided he was going to put bloopers at the end of his movies. And so I love that. I always mm-hmm. love that about Jackie Chan movies. So it was kind of cool that he was uh, uh, inspired by all that. But anyway, so yeah, that is the con- conclusion of the Cannonball Run. And, you know, I will say that there were a lot of memorable characters in this movie. A lot. Like I, like I said, there's like 20-something mm-hmm. people in this movie, in and out, flying, doing all kinds of shit. There's so many great characters. And Faustus is actually... This is the first time in Mustachioed Podcastio history that the guests will actually be doing the impression. Faustus will be doing an impression for you right now. This is Quick Impressions. Go ahead. Quick impressions. I'm looking at my son, Seymour Goldfarb Jr., son of Seymour Goldfarb, God rest his soul, and heir to the Goldfarb girdle's fortune. And what is he doing? Walking around, acting like he was some goy movie star named Roger Moore. And for this, I sent you to the best schools. For this, I'm spending 8000 on orthodonture work. For this, I'm going broke paying that Beverly Hills analyst. I am looking at my son, Seymour Goldfarb Jr., son of Seymour Goldfarb, God rest his soul, and the heir to the Goldfarb girdle fortune. 
And what is he doing? Walking around like he's some goy movie actor named Roger Moore. For this, I sent you to the best schools. For this, I'm spending 8000 in orthodonture. For this, I'm paying that Beverly Hills analyst. But, <laughs> paying homage to the, to the lady. She's so good. I hope you enjoyed yep. that, y'all. To the... the, the We don't get Faustus doing too many impressions these days. I like that one. <laughs> well, she's you know she's just a, she's a sentimental favorite because of, she is. I, so. I, I I've never seen Cannonball Run too, so I'm looking for. I, I don't think she plays the same character, but I'm looking forward to checking it out to to see who she plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? So I this movie being the fact that I've only seen it a few times and that I hadn't I didn't see it back you know back in the day. This one just got by me. And I heard about it all the time. Like, I've heard tons, you know, my older brother, you know, he's like 11, 12 years older than me. He's seen this before. And I've heard it mentioned here and there, but it was just one of those movies I just never watched. I don't know why. And watching it and having a good time with it, getting adjusted to the comedy, because the comedy is just so much different. It was just so much different back then than it is now. Now you need big comedy. Every joke has to be so fucking huge and it has to be so insane. And in these movies back in the 80s, like you have Airplane, which is probably the greatest representation of this type of comedy where it's just quick, quick, small jokes, real fast. There's a joke happening and there's maybe another small joke happening in the background. Like it's just a lot of stuff going at you. That's just not the way it's done now. But I really appreciate this kind of comedy. I think it's it's super fun. You need to pay attention. You can't be someone that's just looking at your phone and, and scrolling through your Instagram. It's something where you need to actually pay attention and enjoy the movie and 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 just kind of follow follow the the, the way the movie unfolds. And I really had a good time with it. Um, as y'all know, I do rate my movies by my favorite mustaches. I go by uh, the full Fu Manchu recommendation. And then I give it, uh, I also have the horse, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the walrus mustache recommendation, which is like, you know, solid hell yeah. And then I have the horseshoe mustache, which is eh, pretty good. And then I have the toothbrush mustache, which is a Hitler mustache, and that is burn it and, you know, burn it and then just disintegrate and shoot it with a grenade launcher. I will give this movie, I will give this movie a solid walrus mustache. It's not the funniest movie out there i think parts of it hold up obviously parts of it don't as you've listened since <laughs> if you've listened to this whole episode yeah. there are parts that don't hold up but i will give it a solid mm. walrus mustache how do you feel about it faustus i i sort of feel the same way so it's a it's a walrus uh yeah maybe a walrus plus just because of fond yeah. adolescent memories but uh yeah that's kind of where we are not quite not quite the full full manchu <laughs> Someday we should. Someday we should do the match. Oh yeah, you know you. you're coming back on pretty soon, and we'll <laughs> we will definitely be taking on that movie. I'm curious what I will rate that movie as. <laughs> we'll see. Ah, the racism it <laughs> <and> burns. <up. laughs> but it, but it, but it is actually kind of it is actually in many ways an entertaining movie as well. So. Um, do you have any plugs you'd like to 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 offer the show? <laughs> Well, let me uh, roll down here. What do I do for uh, I'm not living? Um, 
Listeners to the Grindbin podcast will probably know me already, but my primary sort of internet presence is a, as a writer of adult-only webcomics, uh, including most prominently a long-running series called Tales of Gnosis College, um, which is basically a, which, in which a succession of cohorts of students at a fictional liberal arts institution find their own horniness interacting in curious ways with the fact that the institution is the home to lots of weird and I mad science. Uh, they have a reasonable survival rate. Um, I will provide a link. For, you know, I can provide a link if you want for the most current volume, which is now in the Internet Archive. But there's also a lot of stuff all at my website, eroticmadscience.com. Come pay me a visit as long as you're not a minor. Um, and I have a current project developing concept art and storyboards for a screenplay project that I'm working on called Auto Icon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at eroticmadsci. That's at E-R-O-T-I-C-M-A-D-S-C-I. Awesome. That's and as my you know, plug. you can always find me on Instagram at mustachioed podcast deal don't forget the m-o-u-s-t not m-u-s-t you can also find me on twitter at m podcast i'm on facebook but i don't really care about facebook but if you prefer it go ahead and follow me there and you know i'll be letting y'all know what movie's coming up in, in the next episode thank you so much faustus i absolutely love having you on here i cannot wait to have you back at some point well, thanks for having me on. I've had a terrific time. This has just been so to- yeah, completely man. worth it. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great night, day, afternoon. I don't give a shit when you're listening to this. I just truly appreciate that you're listening to this. Awesome. Check y'all later. Bye. Bye.